This week on Invasion of the Podcast, somebody paid a lot of greenbacks for some other greenbacks. We look back fondly on the year of 1986, and it's one crazy summer. And I have a minor quiz for Paul about minor characters. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of the realm of tension. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, where we take over the world one listener at a time. Uh, my name is Paul, and somewhere uh, out in the water near a rabid dolphin is Steve. Hello, everyone. I t- contemplated for just like a brief second trying to do a impression of Bobcat Goldthwait and decided to bail on it. Uh, I, I, I did one the other night. People said it was okay, but I don't want to sub- you know, subjugate anybody here to it, you know, so like... Uh, yeah, because you got it. It just—it's it, a little erratic, right? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> Nobody yeah. does uh, Bobcat like Bobcat. That's fair. So, yeah, we're going to be um, talking about the the film from '86, One Crazy Summer, which I can't wait to talk about that with uh, Steve here about another Steve that made that film. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be like our our big end of summer uh, episode for the year. Though I will argue that summer is not over for another like three weeks. However, Steve and people that I know have been like actively awaiting the demise of summer uh, and and fall. Like everyone's like people are already like it's September, it's Halloween Eve. I'm like that's sixty days away, people. But whatever. So my question to you is: Is has this season not been hot enough to you? Hasn't it been like just an entire summer of nothing but humidity and just pure misery. All right, well, I mean, it, it has it has been one crazy summer. No, um, no, like I <laughs> like we have like now that you know, we've moved like you know like into this house, uh, we do have central air, so I do feel like I feel like uh, Jason uh, was it Jason? Um, oh, what's his name? J- not Jason Lee. Um, uh, yeah, Jason Lee, Jason and Lee and Dogma, where he's like, no greater sin, right, than central air. I mm-hmm. I completely agree with that because even though there's days where I'm like, you know, upstairs and I'm like, oh, I'm just a little a little sticky. It's like I go back downstairs and I'm like, oh yeah, this is this is how the rich people feel, right? Like it's like, <laughs> um, yeah. So um, so yeah, it's been you know any any summer, right? You're gonna have those days, and like today is like the first day in a while where. We've not actually run the air conditioning, so that's nice. And I actually have our windows open because um, it's not like, you know, <laughs> it's not stupid outside. So that that's nice. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in terms of like the summer ending and going to the fall, there's going to be some nice days. But my argument with fall is always that there's that it isn't just like this nice, slow, gradual, like, oh, the, you know, the, 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 the world's calling it, a, like, you know, calling it a day. And just, I'm going to turn over in my nice little sleep of snow. It's more like it's a cliff. You just like fall is nice until it's not. And it just like just just drops and it becomes miserable. I don't care what anybody says. Fall has like three good days and then screw it. It's in the it's just suddenly like, oh, I can't feel my nose. So whatever. I won't disagree with you. There is 
fall seems to be getting shorter and shorter every year. Uh, it feels like we get a solid two weeks of fall and then it jumps into winter. So I, I, I do get that. Or we get Indian summer, which goes for like a month and a half where you're like, great, it's 90 again and it's humid and we're all miserable, but it's October 28th. Can, can we just have some nice cool weather? Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I guess for me, uh, if you ask me my preference, I would prefer to go outside and be like, I need a jacket as opposed to, oh, I can't strip down naked outside. <laughs> I mean, you can, you know, it's within your oh, rights. You, know? you you have to deal but, with the repercussions of it. Yeah. No, like I, I've always made the joke and I will continue to make the joke that I've never went outside during the summer and be like, oh my gosh, I got to get like this, this, uh, foot of sunshine off my car before I can move it. Oh no, there's a foot of humidity on my car. I have to move it. Like just nah. I'm good. You know, like, um, I never wake up in the, like during the summer and look outside and be like, well, I guess I'm not driving today. You know, every day I get up and it looks like my car has been sweating all night. My <laughs> windshield is just completely like a wash in water. The windows are, in the, are like steamed up the back window. Like it's just been, and again, this is not every summer, but this summer has been particularly brutal, in my opinion. I just think maybe I'm wrong. Some, I know uh, a lot of people are like, "Whoa, when you were a kid, you just didn't notice it." No, no, I, no, no, no. That like, um, the the world is changing for the worse because you know <laughs> reasons. Uh, but I think you should start putting like uh, meat products in your car, like like not like like I'm talking like if you get like a hot dog roller in there, I think you would actually have a nice snack because of that. I think it would actually cook up pretty well. That's disgusting. The last thing I need is to be driving around with a hot dog roller in my car. Uh, it's 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 not uh, the chicken of the cave uh, from Anchorman Two. Yeah, well, I mean, what if, okay, what if it was what what okay, what if it was more like the was the tornadoes or whatever you can get like the gas station. Like what what gas station roller food would you like to put in your car that'd be ready for it to go in the morning because of the humidity in your car. I don't know that I want it in the morning. Uh, and I know what you guys are thinking at home. You're like, oh, there's no way Steve will have a quick answer to this. You ask him something <laughs> important and he can't come up with an answer. No, but you you asked Steve the all important question dogs. about gas station food. Yeah, there was a uh, – and I, I feel like some gas stations still offer them. There was a uh, um, spicy like jalapeno and cheese uh, – I don't know if it was technically called a kielbasa or a hot dog, but it was on the same roller – and those are always really good. They always give me heartburn, so I haven't gotten them in quite some time. But I feel like for a good portion of uh, the last 20 years, well, I shouldn't say good portion of the last 20 years. We'll say the first portion of like 2000 to 2010, that was probably something I would get once a week at a gas station because I worked on the road a lot and gas station food was always a quick option. Uh, so that's probably the thing that I would lean toward most. Um bag of Doritos to uh, jalapeno and cheese uh, kielbasas on a hot dog bun with ketchup and mustard. And I was on my road again. I, you know, that, that sounds like that sounds divine, you know, and I think uh, you need to figure out a way to make those. You, that's your new food discovery. If you can go back and figure out <laughs> how to recreate those. I mean, you, you know. technically they're probably just hot dogs that are, you know, uh, jalapeno and, and uh, cheese. But uh, for me, they always seemed like they were something more. It didn't taste like a hot dog. I just, I want you to find like, you know, like that, whatever that device is that they use to put like the filling and cupcakes, I need you to find a way to make a mixture and to stuff that into a hot dog at home <laughs> and then, 
put that in your car and see what happens. Because I Do think the UHF. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a Twinkie Wiener sandwich. That's what we need you to make right now. No, so okay, fair enough. I mean, the, I well, mean, the summer is coming to a question. Yeah. Here. No, go ahead. I did. What's the typical number of hot dogs that you'll eat if you sit down? <laughs> Um, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm good for, I'm, Oh, I'm knocking stuff over. Cause I was just, I'm, I'm so eager to talk about this. Um, probably three, like, you know, okay. like, you know, like, um, now that I've been avoiding like buns, it's, you know, it's like you, you convince yourself you could have more hot dogs. Cause it's like, cause you look at a hot dog aside from the bun, you're like, well, that's not very big. And then you start eating them. It's like hot dogs are kind of like pancakes in the sense of like, if you're hungry, you're like that sounds good. And then you get like to the third one, you're like, I don't understand my life anymore. And why did I pick this? You know? Yeah. I vacillate between two and three. Like if I'm super hungry, I'll make three. And then yes, usually I will regret it uh, by the time I'm into the third one. But for me, you know, when you mentioned a hot dog roller, cause I, I I've heard of people like buying hot dog rollers for their houses and like, when is this ever going to come in useful for you? Like hot dogs are the easiest thing to make. Boil a pan of water, throw hot dogs in, done. Yeah. Right. And so like, I guess that ties back to what, like for the weekend. Cause I posted a picture on uh, social media that, uh, some people were like confused by <laughs> posted and I showed it to you. Uh, my, my, uh, uh, my oh, wife, the yeah. couple wieners. The couple wieners, yes. right? Yeah. That, that, I was not setting this up this way, but I'll just talk about it. Uh, so my wife had had her book club meeting and they were over here and we were supposed to do some grilling out, but like it just became too late. And I was like, you know what? While they're talking, I'm, I'll go in and like, I'm just going to go ahead and make the burgers and the hot dogs. Right. So I throw all the wieners in the pot and boil them as you, you know, that's what you do. But then like I was trying to think of how I was going to set this up for like serving and I didn't really have like a nice way to set up like all the hot dogs, but we have, it's a bowl, but it has like a, ha- like a handle on it. Like, like almost like, um, I don't know. It's not, it's, it's like a mixing cup handle on the side. I don't know how to describe it. You've seen the picture, but it's like mm-hmm. a bigger bowl. Like it's something, you know, like whatever. And I was like, well, you know, I'll just put all the hot dogs in there and they're all vertical, but people can grab one and then put in their bun and move on. So I was like, well, that would be a nice, like space saving, like idea. And it worked. But then I was like holding this cup of wieners and I'm like, well, I better take a picture of this. <laughs> that was my next thought. <laughs> You're and, like, this is a moment that needs to be memorialized. Of course, of course, right? So then, like, I'm in my kitchen, and the book club meeting is going to the right in the other room, and I'm taking photos. Like, I'm trying to get, like, because my whole thing is, like, whenever I try to take a selfie, like, my like my hand always drifts when I'm trying to hit the, the button with my thumb, and I'm trying to find, like, the perfect wiener arrangement or whatever, right? So I I get this, I take this photo and I, and I, I, the one I post on social media. And then the moment I post it, I hear, I hear, um, uh, co-host on strange highways, Terry, who's part of the book club start laughing because he looked at his phone. Like he was looking down as I posted it. So I just, um, I just walked in, I just walked into the other room. But before I did that, I, um, I grabbed a straw, a metal straw and put it in the cup. So it looked like, I was drinking from a cup of wieners and I just walked in with the straw in my mouth and like he lost it. Everybody thought my, my wife was upset and thought it was disgusting, which made it funnier to me. Uh, but yeah, it was just like one of those things. I just, I've never heard an immediate reaction to something I did that was stupid from another room. And it was, it was very entertaining to me. And uh, a whole cup of wieners occurred. That's, I mean, I'm glad that I now have context for said photo. But uh, it's still interesting that you're like, I need to take photos of this. 
Yeah, like why wouldn't you, right? Like, like my one friend, I had a friend from, like, come on, like, because it's, it's such a dumb thing. And then you're like, it's Saturday night. Who wants a cup of wieners? And then, like, like people, I don't know, like one of my friends, someone I've known from high school, was like, this is one of the weirdest things I've seen in a while, and I'm here for it. I'm like, anybody could put wieners in a cup. I don't understand. It isn't like I did, I don't know. It isn't like I did something so completely like ridiculous. Anybody can put wieners in a cup, but you did it first. So. Sure, sure. And then uh, another friend made it made a comment about like uh, it's like oh yeah, but you put out that you you um you put that cup of wieners guy out of business. And I was like, I think you mean wieners in a cup, like because they're making a jerk reference about pizza in a cup. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah, that was just like I think you mean I think you mean wieners in a cup or a cup of wieners. So anyway, that's my my business plan is a cup of wieners. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I was just like I, this would be an easier way to kind of just have because. They can be vertical. You can't really do vertical like stacks of hamburgers. You know, I mean, I guess, I guess you could stack them like like pucks, right? But you can't like. I mean, I guess you, you could also. Unless set them you're up. thinking three dimensionally, sir, you got to think outside the box. Yeah, I guess so. But and even, you know, to quote somebody I know, long story short, I was trying to find ways to uh, reduce counter space, but make more options available, and that was my solution. And I thought it was funny, and I took a picture because <laughs> and. I, I am proud of the face I made because, you know, I think I'm always – I think I take pretty good photos. Like, I mean, in terms of, like, the cell phone stuff, like, I don't know about you, but, like, do you – like, when you – do you do you always follow, like, the – um like, the like what, what what's that called? Where you break, a fil- like, a photo into, like, quadrants? Do you ever try to pay attention to, like, framing when you take a photo? Are you talking about make, taking, like, a panoramic view? No, no, but it's, like, if you take a square that is the photo – and do a grid that's almost like a tic-tac-toe grid. Like there, if you look at it, there's, there, there's certain where you want certain points in the photo where it's most aesthetically pleasing. Like it's, it's something that like, um, like Ansel Adams did, which I am not comparing my wiener cup photo to Ansel Adams. <laughs> but I'm, I, I think you are, sir. Yeah, I think you like, are. Oh, look, it's Yosemite national park. And I should do a black and white version of wieners. You know, like, <laughs> You may have actually stumbled onto something because I'm a terrible photographer. I just am. Uh, my wife, whenever I need to post something and I'm like, I need a good photo of this, I'll have her take the photo. I don't know. And again, I've never even done your your uh, crisscross hatching slash tic-tac-toe board to figure out uh, how I should take a photo. I've never done that. So oh. I also only use two modes on my phone, um, just normal and then like square because you I need to use normal and then whatever filter puts animal ears on you. Right. That's, that's what, no, <laughs> no, but like, I mean, I don't know. Like I've, I'm always cognizant of like, play, like I just, regardless of how, how dumb the object is that I'm taking a photo of, I'm always like, is this framed appropriately? So I always try my best to frame things well, which, you know, I caught my cat sitting in a wonderful position on the staircase. And I'm like, that's a really good idea for a photo. And I I snapped it and I made fun of him. So I don't know. I'll like what I'm saying is based upon like something I learned a while ago. And I am not in a position to explain exactly why I think this, but I am, I am not the Ansel Adam of wiener photos. I, that's what I'm I saying think right you now. You are, <laughs> and, uh, but wait. But when I that's say what that, put on like, what, I'm, I'm not the Robert Maplethorpe of Wiener photos. <laughs> 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 oh Jesus Christ! All right. Um, so anyway, uh, enough about wieners. Uh, what did What did you do this weekend? Unless it's wiener related. Well, I didn't. I didn't put any wieners in a cup. However, I did. Uh, there were a couple of things. One. Uh, I did try the new monster cereal monster match, which takes all of them and puts puts them together into one 
box. It was mm-hmm. quite tasty. I think it veered towards blueberry, which is probably why I liked it so much. For those of you who are, uh, you know, paying attention at home or trying to keep up, Monster Mash is where they take all five cereals. And generally, most people like five cereals. I thought there was three. Well, there are two that have been discontinued that they occasionally bring back. You've got your Count Chocula, your Frankenberry, Blueberry, and then you've got Yummy Mummy and Fruit Brute. Um, and they mixed all five of them together in this cereal that, again, I think just tastes like Blueberry anyway. But I, I did eat that in an unconventional way because my wife had packed up all of our spoons. So I made myself a big bowl of cereal, sat down, realized I had no spoon and I had to use like one of those big wooden, like, uh, spoons that you use for baking. Like a, <laughs> Oh, why? see, that's the photo. Why didn't I, I'm yeah. like, come on. Yeah. See, I wasn't, you weren't here to tell me that this was a moment that needed to be memorialized. Oh, uh, but two other things that I did. One is, as I realized I'm a huge dumbass. Um, so I talked about this uh, a few weeks ago when I started watching the second season of Ted Lasso. And then I was going on about like, oh, they released two episodes of every new season of all shows. Yeah, not the case. Now, they did do that with Myth- Mythic Quest. I didn't realize at the time that they put up the preview for the next episode. So I thought that I had an extra episode of Ted Lasso because this last episode ended in a way that had sort of a, I mean, it wasn't like a cliffhanger. It wasn't the Empire Strikes Back kind of cliffhanger, but it was like, I, I'm like, oh, you know what? I might break my rule. Let's just watch the next episode. And I went to it and I realized the next episode wasn't available. So, yeah, I screwed myself out of extra Ted Lasso and didn't realize it. it um, I could say that Apple TV lied to me, but uh, it's just my own dumbassery. Because uh, it was nice once we got to the end of the second season of Mythic Quest to have an extra episode because they put the first two up first. I don't know why they didn't do it with this, but it was kind of appalling when I realized it. I was like, oh, I'm 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 an idiot because I just saw two episodes listed and thought that they'd release them at one time. Well, I mean, you know, I, I can see why you would believe that. So, yeah, I, for, I, mean, I, I, guess... I forgive you. Um, I, I have um, I've looked I, I've done my fortune telling. I've looked into my cup of wieners and I realized that it, it, you did not sin and I will forgive you. Oh, I mean, I guess in that respect, I haven't sinned, but the rest of the weekend, <laughs> nothing but. So, oh. uh, no, the, we spent the weekend, uh, you know, continuing the process of getting the house ready to be sold and packing and cleaning and all the fun stuff that goes when you're trying to sell your house. Uh, I did, however, install a light fixture. So I have got a notch on my man card. I'm still trying to earn that at 46. But uh, I finally clicked something off that I was actually able to do. Um, every other home repair I've ever done has fallen apart. And we're four days in right now and lights hanging in strong. So, <laughs> Like the moment like like the house closes, everyone's like, hey, we got this house. It's going to be great. You're just going to hear, you see this fixture just drop <laughs> like, right then, right then, right? It's going to be something out of the money pit. And it's going to like drag all the wires out and everything. Like... <laughs> Yeah, hopefully that won't be the case, but uh, install the light fixture, and then I didn't have time to watch anything, and I don't know that we've really ever talked about the Scream series um, in general on the show, but, uh, and I I guess there's only so many months left in the year, so I don't know that it's going to make it into our year of the sequel anyway, but uh, at the end of Saturday night, I was just tired, and I was like, I kind of want to watch a Scream movie. Uh, something that I don't have to think about too hard. And I realized that I hadn't watched Scream 4 in a while. Um, 
Scream 4 is a movie that when it came out, people really didn't dig all that much. I actually really liked it. In the theater. I liked it. I think, I think it's pretty, I mean, for what it was trying to do, I think it was, I, I think, I think it was better and more successful than like three. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I three is my least favorite. And I, I think there's some interesting ideas in there, but I feel like uh, some of the script was hampered in a lot of ways. Uh, and that's a discussion for another, another time. But uh, I sat down and I, I rewatched Scream 4 and uh, there are a couple things that I could poke holes at, but I still really like the idea of them. And I, I also realized that it came out in like 2011, I think, mm-hmm. um, maybe 2012, but it's almost 10 years old at this point. But they were really pushing this idea of being YouTube famous. And it's so much more a thing now. It's it's again, like I was saying, it's a little ahead of its time, but I really like that premise. I also like the fact that. You know, Emma Roberts, who's supposed to be her niece, like she's seeing this as her way to become the next Sydney. And I, I I thought that was a genius motive. It's much better than, say, um, Billy Loomis's mother popping up in two or Sydney suddenly having a illegitimate brother. Like, yeah, it, it was a much better motive. I think probably the best motive since the first one, at least. For well, the films, because it, it took a, it, it took a meta view again, right? Like versus like the horror film stuff. It looked at like what we now call influencers, right? It was yeah. it was actively aware of the internet age, which you know, yeah, I, I dug for. I don't I don't remember much about it. I mean, I remember who the killer is. I'm not going to get into that right now, but it's like it's like I th- I dug it and I thought it was a worthy sequel. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you revisited that. I need I need to watch it again. Yeah, and I'm just looking it up to see. I can't remember if that was Wes's last film or not. Uh, I feel like he had something else right after it. That four might have been. I know a lot of things that he's credited as a producer on, uh, but as a director, yeah, Scream Four was his last no uh, directorial uh, position. Like he's a consultant on or was on the Scream TV series. I have a feeling that that was. Probably just you know we can throw his name on it if we give him some money. That, that's not a slam against. No, it's Craven. it's like a Stan Lee that, executive producer thing. Yeah, I, I get it. You know where it's like you know, hey, what are your thoughts? Cool, later, you know, type of thing. But okay, so you watch. So yeah, I, I, I yeah, I think it's a high highlight of the se- or highlight high note of the season of the season. God, the series. It's gonna be a long show, folks. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> they're all long shows, Steve. So it doesn't really matter. But I, I, well, if they're I, all long, then none of them are long, <laughs> right? It's so. a short show, folks. I yeah, mean, it's I, not I Wade's just, World I, Two. I, <laughs> I think yeah. it's a sequel that's far better than people gave it uh, credit for, and I do think people are starting to come around on it. You know, I don't think it's as dramatic as you know the thirty years of people telling, saying that Halloween Three was like the worst thing ever. And then the last three years or the last 10 years of people saying that it's the greatest Halloween movie ever made. Like it's somewhere in between Halloween three, but like I think scream four is a movie that needs to be a little bit more recognized. So uh, hopefully, you know, (laughs) whatever we get in the new scream that is going the Halloween route and just calling themselves scream. Doesn't make us go. Yeah, they should have stopped at four. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, no, I I think, I think that's valid. Um, So, uh, for my weekend, aside from a couple wieners, um, the one thing I did get to um, is I wa- I sat down and watched uh, Reminiscence. It's the the film that was released on uh, HBO Max and also in the theaters. It's the Hugh Jackman um, like science fiction film that was written and directed by Lisa Joy, who was one of the co-creators of Westworld. Um, okay. 
and it's I'm a sucker for like like high minded sci fi in the sense of like a, like a weird concept where you get this idea of him being like basically Hugh Jackman's character is like a memory broker. He has this device that people can come in and he's able to guide them to memories that they want to to revisit. And and then there there's a, there's ways to record them. There's ways to revisit them. It, like the the tech is pretty like they don't like the, the they introduce the tech. They don't break rules with it, um, but it become it ends up becoming like a like a tech noir or a neo noir like type of mystery with him like with like you know questioning like some of his encounters and the, there's like an unreliable narrator portion of it meaning like in a way of where you as the viewer do you trust what's going on because you don't know if he trusts what's going on so that's okay the film's perfectly okay um I was hoping for more like um. <laughs> I, I, I'm nothing, nothing against Lisa joy. I, I I'm, I'm all about um, like more voices in movie making, especially like genre. Uh, since she directed it, she wrote the script. I, I want more female voices, more, you know, everybody, everything. Right. Um, she's married to Jonathan Nolan, who is also the co-creator of Westworld, who is the brother of Christopher Nolan, uh, who he's, he's collaborated with Nolan, a lot of his movies. Um, this feels very Nolan adjacent and I'm not like, whatever, if, if, if they're all kind of the same vibe, because obviously they all, they all like each other, right? Like two of them, like two of them are related and one of them is married. Um, but it, it suffers from the Nolan thing of like, Hey, isn't this a cool idea? And I'm trying to tell you an emotional story, but I don't know how feelings work. You know, like, okay. you know what? I, I, does that make sense with some of the Nolan things where it's like, this is really cool, but I don't think these people understand how people work type of thing. Um, so the movie's perfectly okay. Um, it's just, there's a point in the second half where Hugh Jackman's character literally says everything out loud that you're seeing on the screen. And I'm like, come on, we're smarter than this. Just give us a minute. We know what's going on. You don't have to have him literally telling us what's going on. That's bullshit. But the one thing I want to point out is that, Aside from like this, um, this reminiscence, which is what that process is called. Um, this is in the backdrop of like a climate a catastrophe where Miami is sunk. Basically it's like water world for Miami. And so you get these areas where you see like these high rises and there's just all this water and there's an area called the sunken coast. And like, there's this world building of like, because, um, things suck so much during the daytime because of climate change that most of the activities at night, which is very much more a noir thing, but it kind of flips on its head because since the, the daytime is like when things aren't active, that's whenever like our, our main character, Hugh Jackman goes out and investigates things. So it's like a noir in daylight. If, if that makes sense. Um, so he's investigating all this. There's so much amazing, amazing world building of what's going on. Cause they get into like where the rich people have, have literally walled off like the oncoming waters so they can have dry land. And it's like, th there's this amazing sad world that I feel is like, um, 37 minutes away from us right now in Miami that I love all the texture of the world. And it's amazing. But like, and you even get like, um, what's his name? The guy that did the music for game of Thrones. Um, I, I can't remember his name right now. The score is great. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, you get like all these elements there. Like they're the, all of it. Like, like it's like you bring all this talent in, but like the movie kind of just falls flat. 
And it's a bummer because you're supposed to believe in the central love story that I never once gave a shit about. And if I don't, if I'm not invested in either half of that relationship, then, you know, you can't, you can't bring me across the finish line and be like, Oh, well, at least that happened. (sighs) Like it's worthy of watching just, it's, it's aiming for like this emotional height that it's never, ever going to reach. But the sci-fi idea is really, really cool. And the world building is really, really cool. And the, the film is beautiful to watch. It's just that I was hoping for like, this is a film that makes you want to ball your eyes out at the end of the tragedy of the love story. And I didn't give a shit about it. And I think that's a bad, bad, cause I'm, I'm a honk for like, Oh no, it's the God. He loves the person whatever, you know, like, Oh baby, your mother got shot. Like I'm, I'm really quick to cry to anything. Like if it's like, if I get sucked into a movie, I'm in this never got, never got the hook. It's hooks in me, which I feel like is like this weird, like, um, Nolan adjacent vibe, right? Like, like I love inception and there's a, a great moments in that, but it's like, it, there's still this weird cold, cold, distant emotionality to it or emotionlessness to it. Um, like interstellar, you're supposed to give a shit for the main character and his, his daughter's relationship never cared about that. And I don't know if that, like, I, this is not me saying Lisa Joyce chasing the Nolan brothers. I mean, you got to think that they're all talking to each other, right? In terms of like, wouldn't it be cool if we did this? Yeah. And they're also going to be like, how do humans work? I don't know. Let's talk to Mark Zuckerberg. He's like, humans are what? I'm like, oh, let's not talk to him. I just, there, it's just give me, especially it's also very, very frustrating that her last name's Joy and there's no emotion in the film. So I'll just say that. So going by my experience with Westworld, and I have to admit uh, it's probably season two where I fell off. I watched um, the first season. I watched the premiere season two. I need to get back to it. I just did not. It was a show that I enjoyed, but it was also a thing of, and I hate to make it sound like I'm such an idiot that I need to really be spoon fed things. But it, there was a piece of it that was like, I don't want to keep, I don't want to keep the work up to try and like figure out what's going on. Like I, I, I know that that's, lazy of me but i i just i kind of the mystery didn't keep me as involved in it as as it should have to get me there as far as i'm gonna invest my time in this yeah um we were enjoying it we were watching it but it was a thing that that just happened where we missed an episode and then we missed another episode it was like well we'll get caught up we'll get caught up and then other things grabbed our attention and speaking to that is while i enjoyed the first season of Westworld and and there is an emotional story at least with Maeve definitely and then yeah. um I can't think of her character's name but um oh Evan Rachel Wood's character I'm sorry uh, was it Evan Rachel Wood like the main yes her character yeah. thank you um her becoming not self aware but aware of what's happening and mm-hmm. but again I wouldn't say that either of those characters or their stories were really designed to get you in the way that uh, maybe had they focused a little bit more on the interpersonal relationships and as opposed to the mystery of it or the, Hey, we can do this style of it. It might have worked a little bit better, which I I do believe is what you were getting at with uh, the film that you just watched along with, you know, other Christopher Nolan movies. Uh, I can say for myself 
I don't know if it's that she's jumping at the Christopher Nolan because I mean obviously that's a high mark. You know, Christopher nobody can dispute that Christopher Nolan is not a genius filmmaker. Uh, but maybe when it comes to storyteller, uh, he needs some help. Maybe that's the best way of putting it. Um, maybe not even storyteller. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Well, but, uh, like, but he and he and Jonathan Nolan have collaborated a lot, which I'm saying that like, and again, I'm not trying to please, please. If people are listening, I'm not diminishing Lisa joy with her. Uh, Cause there was an article about how she said she wanted to actually originally write this uh, screenplay under like a pseudonym that sound like a guy. So that way it would be like taken well, seriously. And that's like, that sucks no, that, that she's think, thinking about that. Um, yeah. Let me just yeah. say this. I don't think that you pointing this out is in any way you saying, Oh, a man should have written it or that we shouldn't hear her voice. Criticism is criticism. It's only awful. If you're picking particularly a bone of contention with her, her sex. Cause I don't think that that really, well, I, I shouldn't say it don't. It doesn't pertain at all to cr- criticism. And it's not like you're not also criticizing, criticizing the Nolans. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's being construed the way that you th- think it is. I, I, just, I, I, I just don't want it to that, sound like that she's aping the two men that she she knows. Like, that's not what I mean by that. I'm no, just but I think that, that if you are yeah. working on something and you're working with these, I feel like people influence each other. So I think that. I'm sure she got notes. You know, you know yeah. like. And I'm sure there's collaboration, right? I think that, and I think that's healthy. I think that's wonderful. It's just, yeah, continue, please. But I just don't want people to think that I'm just like, oh, she did all this because like she was influenced by like the, the Nolans. And I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I also don't believe that this script existed in a vacuum. Cause I'm, you know, like, you, you clearly it's like, unless she's like, you know, like black, like she's like, she's like, uh, hey, Chris Nolan not allowed anywhere near us. Like I don't think, you know, like right. he did the Dark Knight Rises. He's he he's dead to me. You know, like <laughs> I don't know. I'm just trying to like I'm not trying to say that she's following the footsteps of the men around her. That's not what I'm saying. I, I think that she's a smart and intelligent storyteller. Um, and I think that there's a lot of there there they there when I say the unreliable narrator, there's a lot of moments in this where you're like, oh. That what we saw might not be what we think we saw. That's cool. I'm down with that. It's just that I don't know why this collective can't understand how human emotion works. I don't, I just, I'm, I'm just, it blows my mind. I agree. I, I do wonder if, you know, sometimes it's just when you're making something and I say it like I've made a film, but I do, I do in some ways feel like people, lose sight of the thing that maybe they're and I don't even say focusing on, but it's such a big picture and they're working, they're looking at all these different components that something gets lost. And I, I feel like with your example of Christopher Nolan, with the example of Westworld, I don't know that emotional resonance is really the strong points of either of those things. Uh, even, you know, Batman dark Knight rises, the film ends with, you know, possibly, Bruce Wayne having gone on to live a life with Catwoman in Paris, I think. But the only reason that that's even semi rewarding is just because I have a relationship with the character. I don't know if it's so much based upon the two previous films, even the idea of the dark Knight itself. We know that (laughs) Bruce Wayne slash Batman is going to try and save Rachel Dawes. And we feel bad when she dies, but we it's, on a 
What's the word I'm looking for here? Don't a you mean don't you mean uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal? Isn't that who you mean? What's that? Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yes. Well, it was. <laughs> Sorry, her uh, character was Tom Cruise before that. But oh, okay. <laughs> the point that I'm making is is that I don't think we ever get to a point where we really identify with their relationship. Um, and I think that that's just a weakness in his films. And I feel like that was a weakness of the season and a half of Westworld that I watched. And that's probably an unfair criticism, but uh, you know, I, I don't think that uh, you're wrong in, in saying, you know, they may have actually been focusing too much on being, because I think also there's a thing of, and this is a generalization. I sometimes feel like your Chris Nolan's your whoever in that field, um, even your M night Shyamalan sometimes get so hung up in, and I realize I just named two male directors. I don't have a female that I can go e- immediately to. Um, but because I'm trying to keep this in context, you have people who somehow are so interested in being clever that they forget about other things. We'll yeah. Put it that way. No, I think that's like, regardless of like of gender, I think that I think in terms of like, there's this, there's this thing that's going on with sci-fi where it's like, I know more than you. And um, and I think it's here with this and I'm not saying Hugh Jackman doesn't sell the hell out of it. Uh, uh, Than- Thandwee Newton, I think that's how you say it. Cause she's eventually she's like, Hey, that's not been my name for years. I'm now going to tell you what it is. She's good in this. Um, there, there is the, like, you can see that they're selling the hell out of this. Right. And, um, it's just, I don't know, man. Like if you, like, if you watch the movie, which again, people should like, I, like I put on, I think I put on letterbox like a uh, three stars, like it's one of those ones. It's like it. There's there's something here. It's very like Blade Runner adjacent in the sense of like the future sucks and and um, there's this mystery, and I dig that. And like I don't know, like the the world building of this is worth the price of admission. However, um, there's there's literally a point where um, there's a character that you come across that. Um, probably isn't physically capable of doing anything like in terms of like, um, like providing like meaningful information. And within three seconds, they're telling everything that the audience needs to know. And I'm like, that, that is not the way this works. If they're, if they're so far gone and they're speaking in riddles, you can't just have Hugh Jackman show up and be like, Hey, I'm huge. I'm huge. Jackman. Tell me what's going on. Like, like, do you feel like though that that's a criticism to other films that are clever and then people are like, well, I didn't get it because that, yeah. that sounds like a note. That sounds like they wrote something and somebody gave them a note and was like, yeah, your average viewer is not going to be able to figure this out. I, well, then then I think that especially with the knowledge that like, well, I guess they didn't know this is going to be released simultaneously on streaming service in theater. However, but if you're going to go to the theater, it's like um, I think Inception, like as much as there's a weird emotional disconnect there they they didn't spoon feed people the, like they they told people the concept and then they kept getting weirder and weirder and you're kind of along for the ride like i feel like especially like sci-fi as a genre like or like hard sci-fi which is what this is supposed to be because you get you actually get into the, like the guts of the tech of what's going on and like how things are and aren't then you should expect a certain amount of sophistication from the audience um it might have just been notes of like, well, is this going to put butts in the seats? Because the trailer for the film kind of it doesn't it doesn't really sell what the movie is because it almost sounds like the world has been ruined and people want to look back on when things were good. And you get the idea that there's, they're kind of selling people on like um like 
the past, which it is their memories, but more like, yeah, wouldn't it be cool if we go back to the twenties and we just, we reminisce about that as opposed to their own memories. You get the idea that it's more like, I, I thought the movies would be more about like, um, Hey, things suck now, but what if we give you a world that you are like, <laughs> come at me, you know, make America great again. Like go back to that bullshit of like, this is when things were perfect, you know, and this is where we want to live. This is where we want to be. Um, and, and that's the same idea in Inception. Cause, um, there's that bit where, um, oh, uh, uh, Cobb, which is, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio ends up in that, like that, that weird den in like the middle East where like people are now like spending their entire, entire days dreaming because they, they prefer the reality they're creating for themselves versus now. Right. And it's like, I wanted something deeper with that, but whatever. Anyway, the movie, it sounds sorry. a little bit like, uh, oh, and I just had the movie on the tip of my tongue. Uh, you wanted, um, oh, the Jim Carrey movie with Kate Winslet. Oh, uh, uh, it's Earl Sunshine. Yeah, that's yeah, kind of that kind of experience, and in, in the film fell short of that. Kind of, but that was also dealing with like internal memory, which is also what this film deals with as well. One of the reviews I saw on Letterboxd, well, I, I yeah. brought it up. I, I didn't yeah. make that comparison just. You know, no, no, no. I, it's not like I no. brought up, uh, you know, Dennis the Menace or yeah, something. Yeah, you're like, hey, listen, it's like that Jim Carrey movie, The Cable Guy. No, um, no. Uh, a lot the of Mask, Paul? Let's talk about The that. Mask. No, let's talk about Son of the Mask. We'll do that as the next year of the sequel. I'm kidding. Uh, but no, like the whole thing, it, it, people have talked about the the Catherine Bigelow film, uh, Strange Days, which I don't think I've ever seen. Strange um, Days is great. It's, yeah. it's, it's been a while since I've seen it. Uh, it's definitely, uh, visually interesting. Uh, it's got a great soundtrack and, uh, there's some fantastic performances on in it, but it's been a long time since I've seen it. So I don't want to oversell it, but I just said three things that probably oversold it. No, no, no. I'm just saying like, I mean, we just, we just talked about, um, you know, uh, near dark with her. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, but people are saying that like, this is a film that, that the, like the weather uses like hoping that you've never seen strange days. (laughs) It was what they said. They said about it, and I'm okay. going. On, I'm going on too long about it. It's just, you know, like I, I'm a sucker for weird, like future sci-fi and like noir stories. Like Blade Runner is one of my favorite movies. This is not the same thing, but it kind of it's adjacent to. Um, I like Hugh Jackman. Um, I like when I saw that Lisa Joy was part of it. I'm like, like we just talked about Westworld. I I like that they took such a. Uh, kind of a simple idea from the Crichton book and sorry, movie and screenplay, and then went in a different direction. I respect all of that. So I was in to support the creator. It's just, there's a bit where it, like, how can a film be equal parts? Like, like I'm more clever than you. And then also at the end of like, I need you to ball your eyes out. And I, I, the, the only Christopher Nolan movie, and this is not, this is anything, nothing against Lisa Joy and uh, Jonathan Nolan, who constri- con- contributed on the script, was Memento. That was the one Nolan movie where emotionally it hits me, but it was also like their second film. I don't know where the detachment went. I don't know where it went with, with everything with Nolan. I don't know. Wow, I don't want to get stoned by film critics uh, and film lovers for bringing up said comparison, but... It is the same, I think, issue that uh, George Lucas ran into with the prequels because you can you can go back to writing the story and coming up with the ideas for it and the world. But the reason Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi work as well as they do is because Lawrence Kasdan scripted them with 
Nolan, I feel like, you know, in particular to technology and the way that he makes movies and the interesting things, he's interested in the spectacle. Not, And I don't mean to say spectacle in the way that like Michael Bay is interested in spectacle. I just mean that he's interested in what you can do and tell how you can tell your story with film. Um, and I feel like George Lucas was that very same person. And he was like, well, you know, I've got all this subtext about Senates and, you know, taxation routes and all this other stuff, but I'm going to also put in an alien and you're going to be very interested by that. I, I think that had somebody been like, Hey George, you might have to take a pass at the script might've benefited. I feel like Nolan is in the same realm where he's very focused on making an interesting film, both visually and compelling storytelling, but maybe the characters are not as well rounded or, the arc isn't as well construed as possible. And I realize again, I just did the thing that you didn't want to do where I'm like, I'm going to talk about the man in this scenario, but that's my, uh, my summation. My apologies. Okay. Well, real quick, you, you watched uh tenant, right? Yes, I did. I have not seen tenant. Do you, like, do you feel that they like, is, is it one of those things where it's again, again, this is nothing this is separate from reminiscence, but talking about like this, I have a clever idea, but I don't know how to put human emotions to it. Did you get the same vibe from that? I feel like, Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, and again, I didn't dislike tenant, but we finished it and I was just like, eh, not in the sense of, I, I think I've reached a point where if a movie doesn't emotionally involve me at this point, I lose interest in it. And I don't even mean that in the sense of, you know, I'm immediately out the door watching it where I flip it off. But, you know, my memories become vague of it after watching it. I, I remember being like, wow, this is a really cool effect. This is a really cool idea. Once you get past that, there isn't a lot for me to attach to. So uh, the, the, the things that I now build my movie database in my brain around are the ones that really have characters that either speak to me or story arcs that I think um, grab me in a way that others don't. Mm -hmm. um, and there's no real emotional resonance when you get to the end of tenant i mean i would say that there's probably none really throughout the entire film but that's, that's just me okay so all right so uh reminiscence uh watch it if you want cool sci-fi stuff and wonderful world building uh don't go in expecting to want to hug anybody or give a shit about any of the characters and that's a bummer so so here's the funny thing that just popped into my head is the idea that uh <laughs> i just I, I didn't shit on it i just gave a a critical review of how I felt about Tenet. Meanwhile, I'm going to rave about one crazy summer in about 20 minutes, folks. So, you know, stick around for the Steve Hall Savage Steve Holland versus uh, Christopher Nolan debate. So <laughs> <laughs> you say 20 minutes, you, you summer child. All right. So, all right, that's going to do it for our weekend. Look at that. Everybody. We took uh talking about some wieners and some reminiscences. There we go. There we go. So let's just get into, let's just get into some news. everyone all right so steve you uh you have some uh interesting news in terms of, of value paid for things yeah i just thought this was interesting particularly since when you read stories like this it's always about comics that were not around in your lifetime and i i, I really kind of want to have a, a conversation about 
uh, what you spend on comics and what's the most you've spent on a comic. But um, the story here is is the uh, first uh, the, the copy of uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one uh, that was graded by CGC, which that's a whole other discussion, the whole CGC grading experience. Uh, it, but it was a CGC graded 9.8, which is, I think 10 is the highest. So you, you understand it's like near perfection. Uh, it sold for a record $245,000. So, um, the story just basically says, you know, we've, we've seen a number of vintage comics in, uh, 2021 that have sold, um, in the market that we wouldn't have believed a year ago. Um, for instance, Amazing 15, which is the first appearance of Spider-Man, that was graded CGC 9.6, which I don't know who has a copy of that still that would be in that good of condition. Um, but it says that uh, it surpassed $3 million. Uh, Marvel Spotlight number 5, which I have to admit, um, I'm not sure what that book was, but there was a CGC graded 9.8 for that that went for $264,000. And then the first appearance of the Riddler in Detective Comics number 140 that was comic book uh, graded at a 9.6 went for $456,000. Oh, wow. Um, but this is interesting that, uh, you know, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one, we all know what a juggernaut Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles became um, since they were first came out in 1984. But to have a 9.8 copy of the first run is pretty rare so i'll i'll acknowledge that uh what i really wanted to talk about was just we always hear about these types of sales happening you know action comics number one detective 27 amazing spider-man or amazing fantasy number 15 they're all comics that you know even though we're now getting up in age they're all comics that existed before uh we were even born so it's easy to detach yourself uh from the idea of Oh, well, that was, you know, probably some kid running around in the 1940s or whatever and found it in a a stack of books and kept it forever or whatever, uh, or the 30s, I should say. With this, we were alive for this. You know, I wasn't reading comics at the time. Uh, It certainly wasn't something that I even came into contact with until the television show. But I think it's interesting to think that Something that we could have picked up had it been kept in this pristine condition would now be worth $245,000. I think that's just a an interesting idea to think about because I always think about these things in the sense, like I said earlier, of them being comics that were from an age where I was not around and did not exist and could not have just pur- purchased them um, in a comic shop or at a retailer. Uh, but the, the question I wanted to ask you is, is, uh, what's, what's the most you've ever spent on a comic book? Um, like, I mean, it's mainly like trade paperbacks, like 20, 30 bucks. Okay. Yeah. So I, I know former host Joe, uh, he is, he's not just a CGC type comic book uh collector but i know that he has some that are, are rated oh correct? yeah yeah no he has he is he's a collector which respect to him like he actually goes out of his way to find things and that that's important to him and he does he gets them graded and sealed and like that's cool like i i wish i had well i wish i had some of that passion like like i mean mm-hmm. 
Like um, to go back to what was it two weeks ago talking about meeting Chris Claremont. I, I mean, I had him sign like, you know, just it's a trade paperback that like it's it's not worth anything. But like um, like it's important to me. So I always get things signed for like importance versus value because um, I'm I. I am a really shitty person in terms of trying to figure out what's going to be worth something or not. Like I always like, like Steve, I know you and I have like, like 30 Pepsi cool cans. They're never going to be worth anything. You know, what? <laughs> how many, how many, uh, episode one, uh, Pepsi product cans do you have? I don't have any episode one Pepsi product cans, but I do have one from the Star Wars special edition trilogy re-release because I'm an idiot. Did I lose it? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Oh, uh, there, yeah. was, there was no like, no, Steve, it just got quiet right after. I was like, oh, I must have lost it. And he wasn't disputing the fact that I'm an idiot. No, I, I do have one of those. Um, I do remember uh, right before... My wife and I moved into this house that we're now getting rid of in 2011. Getting rid of. You're like, God, just too many poltergeists. Got to get out of here. (laughs) Why was this buried on a Native American pet cemetery? I don't understand. That we're moving out of. I didn't mean that could sound like, you know, we're getting rid of it, but we're moving. Any listeners that want to buy Steve's house, you should go there this weekend. um, If you guys want to see where I live, uh, come out this weekend. If you you want to see the the birthplace of the Science Slasher, which again... (laughs) Um, Someday there will be a sign outside this house. Uh, (laughs) Boo this man. He created the science slasher. (laughs) I I completely lost track of what I was going to say. I was was making the joke about something. Oh, okay. So I went to the storage space, and I realized I had a lot of stuff that I didn't realize I still had. Like I was opening up boxes and like episode one stuff, and I'm like, oh, God. Like – I didn't realize I had this. And at that point it was only 10 or 11 years old. So, you know, I made a trip to big fun. I took like six boxes worth of stuff to big fun, which is no longer around, but big fun was a, a toy store in uh, Lakewood, Ohio. Uh, and I remember I got $50 for like six boxes, just packed with toys. And I was happy to get it at that point. I was like, fine, just take it. I don't want to put it on eBay. Just take it. And uh, I think I actually bought some toys while I was there, so I probably came out, you know, dead even. Um, and there was a point to this. I was going somewhere with that, and I don't realize now. No, just I was- like selling things. Like so, like here, I'll give you something. I I, I looked this up while we're talking. That's cool cans. I pivoted to the Star Wars <laughs> uh, special editions release Pepsi can that I still have, and then I devolved. I. I I, I went too far into episode one. Crap <laughs> well, I it. set the trap. I'm sorry. Um, Utini, please forgive me. Um, so um, I found a, a Jason story. This is from August 7th. So it's a, it's a few weeks ago. An unopened copy of Super Mario Brothers sells for a record $2 million. You want to talk about things that exist in our lifetime? This is also a game that was given with the original Nintendo Entertainment System. Like, I mean, yeah. this this is just the standalone game in its own plastic, um, you know, pristine condition. Because um, there was always, like, they, there was that, and then there was, like, the upgraded version of NES. What was this? And Duck Hunt. Um, $2 million for Mario Brothers. Why? Why, why, why? And also, like... Okay, well, you talk about something that we've owned in our lifetime. There you go. So there is also a part of me that looks at, you know, the grading aspect of this and goes, 
I understand wanting to have a pristine copy graded uh, that, you know, is the first appearance of your favorite character or whatever. Uh, if I remember correctly, in Joe's case, at one point he was chasing down um, the first appearance of Taskmaster. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was pre-pandemic, if I remember correctly. It but was, yeah. I, I know that, you know, that that's an important aspect to him, a character that really touched him and wanting to have a preserved copy. For me, I don't know that I like the idea of owning a comic that I can't read or that anyone can read. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I understand that it's a collectible, and I do have toys that I, I has, have some in package because I bought two because I was like, I want to keep one in package so it's nice and pristine. I, I, I oddly enough, did that with uh, episode one. Uh, so I, I certainly understand that aspect of it, but I have trouble getting around it. And I probably have lots of comics that would be worth a lot more if they didn't have, like, I don't know, Cheeto fingers or, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, years and years and years of sitting in a closet uh, without a bag that. You know, I have comics that have seen better days because I read them notoriously as a kid, you know, uh, and I can't seem to get rid of them because of what they meant to me at the time that I was reading them. So I certainly understand that there's a reverse aspect to it where it's like I could have something that maybe might be worth something, but it's more worth it to me emotionally. Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, what do you do with? a $2 million copy of super Mario brothers. Like what if that devalues at some point? Like what if somebody finds like six others or I, I don't know. It, it's, it's like when Todd McFarlane bought all those baseballs in the nineties and then had to compare, compare, had to compare, had to claim bankruptcy, uh, 10 years later or whatever. I, I, I don't even know what those baseballs are technically worth at this point, but I, I just remember the astronomical numbers that were coming out around it. Mm-hmm. And like, how does that retain value? I don't understand, but I don't know that I'd ever own a comic that's been CGC graded. And to go back to my original question, you know, I don't know that I paid that much for an individual comic, maybe 20 to $30. Cause I really wanted to have it as part of my collection. Yeah. I've got books that are, uh, you know, in the hundred to $150 range because they're reprints of, of, I have these artist editions, which I think I've brought up in the show, and they're they're basically scanned and reprinted for the artwork at original comic book size, which is typically 11 by 17, although there are some books that are at di- in different uh, size formats. Um, and they're, they're expensive books to get, and they usually go up in value anyway, which is not the reason that I buy them. But uh, for me, they're the closest I'm going to get to owning, you know, Jim Lee X-Men art. But I can look at you know, Jim Lee, 1990 X-Men art and see it the way it was originally done. Yeah. Um, and that means something to me. So I don't know. I, it, it just struck me as funny that, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, well, yes, that thing has been a juggernaut for over 30 years would go for almost $250,000. Well, I think the, the big thing there is because it was like independent press, Right. Mm-hmm. So, and then it, because it ballooned into this big thing. So it isn't like, it isn't like it's under the mantle of the DC or Marvel. Like this is very much an indie comic when it came mm-hmm. out and to seeing like, I saw, what was it? Um, like Kevin Eastman, who, um, um, I follow on Facebook, 
um, he was just like, the thing we had boxes, this is my living room and now it's worth money. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it's like, I know that you and Ryan have your books too. It's like, like, and, and I'm not trying to be like, you guys, you know what? You guys should sell books like the turtles, you know? And, and it like, like, <laughs> you don't, you don't know, you don't know where things are going to go. Right. But it's like, Hey, what if you did a book about like turtles fighting other things, whatever. Anyway, they, they had an idea. They thought it'd be fun. And no one could have foreseen how, like, it would kind of enter the zeitgeist and just explode. So it's very much an indie comic, right? So that I think that's the big thing here too is that it isn't like it isn't like a Silver Age or Golden Age. It's like it is something like you said. It's something that we could have found and bought, yeah. and because the value keeps like going up, like like exponentially. Yeah, that's cool. Um, if I had the money just to throw away. Um, it would be funny for me just to find like a random, like I have many random comics and be like, Hey, can I have this graded and put in plastic? And they'd be like, well, this is a 3.7. It's important to me. You know, whatever. Like it would be <laughs> like, uh, I just put up my wall and be like, everybody look, look at that. Look at that 3.7 comic. Look you at know. this issue of dark Hawk number one. Yeah. Look at it. Which by the way, there was a, that just the new one came out. Uh, this week and I, or the week and a half ago, I need to go pick up the the newest uh, Dark Hawk. By the way, so thank you for reminding me of that. That's going to happen. There's the relaunch of the series. Um, I've not caught it up. Caught, maybe that's the one that's going to be worth like two hundred fifty thousand dollars twenty five years from now. Probably not. Um, I will say I believe like the most expensive thing I own that was like the first run of something is that I have a hard copy novel of the Neil Gaiman book Neverwhere, mm-hmm. um, and. I just did a search and someone's trying to sell it for 150 bucks available. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to sell it for 150. Like, but maybe later, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I still have the, I still have the, the dust jacket, the books in perfectly okay condition. Is there a way that this, this company can like grade it for me so I can put it in plastic, you know? Oh, wait, there is, um, wait, Oh no. Where's this at? Um, there, I've seen it listed now for 400 and some dollars as well. All right. Well, there's my retirement fund. So everybody, if you want to make a bid, let me know. I will let it go for $10,000. It's, it's like those, uh, commemorative plates. It's only going to go up in value. <laughs> well, it's funny that you say that. Cause you know, obviously I've been talking about packing up our house and us moving, not getting rid of our house, moving, uh, with that in mind, though, I was going through my Star Wars collection, which is vast and uh, will at some point envelop me and kill me. But one of the things that I came across was uh, a uh, Princess Leia on card from probably 10 to 15 years ago. But she's she's in the Hut Slayer slash slave outfit. Mm-hmm. And I, I I'd had it on my wall and I had to give it much thought to it. Um, I had it in a protective case cause I'm that guy, uh, which I'm apparently okay with toys, but I'm like comics, you got to read them. <laughs> <laughs> that said, I looked it up just to see like what they were going for and like the completed sales on Etsy, which that's the other thing that I would like to, I'm sorry, not Etsy, eBay. I'd like to mention real quick is, is if you're looking at eBay and you're seeing people asking for ridiculous prices. For something, don't think that's the value of it. Go to completed sales slash sold items to see what it's really selling for. Um, because I've seen plenty of things where I'm like, wow, this is worth a lot. And then I've looked and I'm like, oh, no, people are selling it for way less uh, or have sold it for way less because they 
couldn't get what you know other people are asking. However, uh, I think the lowest I saw this Princess Leia on card figure going for was like two hundred dollars, and I'm like, well, I'm like, I guess at some point if I just need an extra two hundred dollars or need to pay off a bill or something, I'm like, I guess this is going eBay because I don't have like any you know specific attachment to it other than I was like collecting Star Wars figures and I think it's a cool figure, but I'm like, I can let this one go if I need to. Yeah. So, but I never bought that with the intent of like, oh, this is going to be, you know, a two hundred dollar figure at some point. <laughs> no. It's like I still have like what you're talking about on board, so I still have it on. Um, like I still have my package. You have my uh, Marvel Legends Darkhawk figure. I. No, I just because it's one of those things. It's like I would prefer it still be in the box. It's easier to put on my little shelf that way, the way because it's in the box versus like me playing with the Dark Hawks. Um, so I still have that there. And it's like it's important to me. I, it's never going to be a value. I have a Mysterio figure still. On, sorry, on card from uh, Far From Home, which I, I should also mention. I did watch that again this weekend. That's a delightful film because our talk about No Way Home made me watch uh, Spider Man again. Um, but. Yeah, it's like I don't know. This you you'll never ever 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 know what's going to spark. Um, there there's that like was it um uh, people that have been chasing all the Funko Pops. I don't know or whatever. We don't know what's going to be of value. And good on the Ninja Turtles to actually generate that because that was a passion project and it was like these two guys trying to do a thing, and it's only paid dividends for them. So good on them. I think that's wonderful. Yeah, I don't buy stuff. Particularly, I'm not savvy enough to try and think of, of, oh, this might be worth something. I think, I think we have tried that at different times and gotten screwed on it. Like I think I've mentioned this uh, back when the last season of Stranger Things uh, debuted. Coca-Cola had this thing where you could buy this Stranger Things set that came with cans of new Coke and then a couple of bottles and whatever. They were like twenty dollars a piece, and we were like, oh, this is going to be worth something at some point. So we ordered like four of them. And they're not worth anything. So yeah. uh, it just teaches you to, to to buy with your heart, not your wallet. Or I guess, obviously, don't go into debt, you know, <laughs> uh, buying with your heart. Fair enough. Like, yeah. Buy with both of your heart and your mind. We'll put it that way. Uh, listen, Steve, I um, I went and bought all of the homies figures that were uh, available in like the 25 cent machines at um, grocery stores. You just put... 50 25 cents in and get the homies figures i've bought so many boxes of those because they're going to pay off if you'd like to buy some homies figures please let me know i would be amazed if you were like if i went to your house one day and you're like yeah here's some a box full of homies figures i'll go where did you get this that and uh many nfl helmets (laughs) (laughs) i'm hoping for just a grab bag of gelatin hands that you have like (laughs) slap hands (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There you I go. will say that I have seen conventions where they have the um, the stickers that are are like I don't know, chromish. Like they're almost hologramish, but they're not holograms. But they look like they're in chrome and of you know Freddie, Jason, or whatever. They were obviously staples of the late '80s, early '90s vending machines. And I've seen those go for a pretty price. And I'm always like, oh, those are really cool looking, but I'm not spending that kind of money. Like, can I get it for 50 cents today? No. <laughs> oh, I'm just looking now because I'm, I'm being a jerk. Uh, oh, uh, there is um, someone is selling the Don Carter Twilight Zone figure with the, the devil um, uh, fortune telling machine uh, for 90 bucks on um, one 
on where's it eBay. So yeah, good luck with that. Um, I have one of those on card. I just, yeah. yeah, whatever. Like when you and I went to um, Living Dead Weekend, there was some Twilight Zone stuff there that was on card, like the smaller figures. And yeah. it's just like, yeah, you know what? That'd be fun. Um, I don't want my wife to be mad at me that I bought that. Like, you know, <laughs> so that's why I feel about that. Anyway. So, okay. So you, you told me that you had a secret story. So where, what, what's your, what's your secret story? Cause I have one as well. I don't, I, if it's the same one, I like, I will lose my mind. And I don't think it's the same story. Paul's going to lose his mind up in here. Up yes. in here. Yes. Yes. Alrighty. So this is very topical, particularly with our conversation about COVID earlier. Uh, but, uh, uh, or the pandemic, I should say not COVID directly, but Canadian guy peed on the counter at a Dairy Queen. Did you, is this your story? Yeah, no, it's not. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> a gruntled like, I, guy. I, I wanted a blurry, I wanted a blizzard, but I'm going to give you a flurry. <laughs> <laughs> A gruntled guy will will likely be banned from his local Dairy Queen after this incident. Cops near Vancouver are looking for a guy who refused to wear a mask at Dairy Queen due to him not following Canada's COVID rules. The staff refused to serve him, so he got mad, and then he urinated on the counter. Another Dairy Queen official or customer official. recorded video of the incident. Uh, seen below, not suitable for work. Police have not been able to make arrests and are looking for help tracking this man down. So... I just, I, you always bring me like weird stories about people doing things at fast food restaurants. I'm like, well, <laughs> here's someone literally peeing on a counter. Um, so my question to you is, is not what would you pee on a counter for at a restaurant? But, uh, you know, wh- what is the expectation if you went to a restaurant? What is the thing that would make you be outraged? What's the thing that would push you over the edge? Um, because clearly this person is living in another world where, you know, they don't understand how masks work or why they're being asked to wear them in a Dairy Queen. The, that's, we'll take this out of the equation. What is the thing that would happen at a restaurant that would push you over the edge? Not the fact that you're going to urinate on the counter, but that you would be like incensed and angry at. We'll, well okay. So in terms that you and I have both worked customer service, so I will, I will never ever like launch out against like another person. Cause of, like in terms of that, because I'm like, I understand they're beholden to like their corporate things. I get that. Um, I, I mean, not to the point of where I would just be like, you know what? I'm going to piss all over the place. Um, like I, I would be frustrated if I like, I'm not talking like a walk up place like Dairy Queen, because that is in terms of like fast food, that that's, that's like the same thing as like a McDonald's Taco Bell, whatever, right? Like churn and burn. I get that. What would really bother me if I went to like down to a sit down place and if like the server was um, ambivalent and rude and, and they didn't get anything right and like the service staff didn't actually make good, I think that's the time to go talk to like their management. But I wouldn't be like, listen, um, that was a shitty server. Get ready for the pee. Like, I don't think I would ever, you know, like, you know. Like I'm, I'm about to let you know, here's my, here's my, um, my four star review. I'll, you know, whatever. Anyway, but like, it's just, you know, like there's times where it's like, like, I think did I tell this story. Maybe I did. This was a couple years ago. Uh, uh, my wife and I, we went to a steak and shake and the person came over and took our order and then we waited forever. We waited and waited and waited. And then someone came over and they're like, we're sorry. They quit. 
<laughs> like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like they just went over and clocked out and left and we're like oh well can i still get my frisco melt like i'm like that sounds like they're having a bad day i'm not i'm not like whatever but can we please i know it's steak and shake i know the bar is low we're like i believe steak and shake is always like just like it's a half step above denny's i under, like that's why i feel that really um, i feel like denny's is half a step ahead of uh shake and steak uh, so, uh, yeah, wow. I don't know. Like, I just, I don't know. They, they, they have a Frisco melt. That's great. And they also bring you little beans in a, like a little pot. I like, I like, like, you know, I like their little crock pot of not crock pot, but like a little crock of baked beans. Uh, so yeah, like what we were comp though, is like, we ordered something that we got like comped like fries. It's like, all right, well, thanks you. Thank you for not covering our whole meal. We got <laughs> fries and like the steak and shake fries are like, potato sticks but like tinier say, like fries are yeah. the worst. they're okay it's just you gotta eat like seven pounds of them to feel like you've had fries uh but to know that a server literally walked out um like it was one of those things where i'm like well, I, you know what like it's just like well that's bad service and they're like we'll compy fries i'm like well that doesn't really that really mm, that doesn't really do it but it's like i wasn't going you know, it's, it's steak and shake. It's like, you've already made bad decisions if you're working there. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to shit on you further. But yeah, that happened <laughs> one time. And it was like, just mind blowing. I'm like, oh, well, they're gone now. Like, I just kind of wish that we would have heard their car, like, just peeling out of the, like, out of the parking lot and then flipping off everybody on the way out. I've been like, at least then there would have been a show attached to that. <laughs> so, yes, I, I've spent so much time working with the public that uh, you have to you have to screw up majorly for me to not tip you or even complain um i i will suck it up just because i know servers have bad days i know cooks have bad days i don't even feel comfortable like if something's not done to my liking i won't send it back i won't be like oh this is rare and i asked for medium like I, i'm just like yeah i'll eat it i'll suck it up whatever you have to really screw up uh, to get me to not tip you uh, just because I, I know how it works. Everybody has bad days. Yeah. Uh, everybody uh, is going to try and make a living because they're making $2 and 16 cents an hour. So they need those tips. So I, I've never, I think the only time I've ever been angry in a restaurant. Well, I've been angry in restaurants. Sure. But um, <laughs> I, uh, it was told, related. it was told to me unlimited seafood. Like. <laughs> but uh i remember i was uh i went to breakfast with my mom and we got there and it was like just the cutoff point and this wasn't mcdonald's this was a sit-down restaurant in some dusky called uh berardi's uh berardi's is probably a step above say your mcdonald's it's not like a fancy sit-down restaurant but it's certainly someplace that you go and you get a good meal uh, how, how is that versus like a perkins that's like where, where do you i would say that? it's probably right around in a perkins okay. uh you know uh your perkins your um no waffle house is the lowest of the low so i almost <laughs> brought that up but no um but yeah, it's it's if you, if it was a Mexican restaurant, it would have been the equivalent of a Chi Chi's back in the day, or uh, a Perkins is a good analogy though. So we get there, and uh, I want to get breakfast, and the lady's like, "Oh, sorry, you missed the cutoff." And I don't even think we had. She's like, "Yeah, I got to order from the lunch menu now." I'm like, "All right, I guess." And then I got whatever I ordered. But there was a guy who came in after us and sat down directly across from us, and I watched him get served pancakes and eggs and breakfast. 
And I was so mad. I was just like, are you kidding me? Like, why did he get breakfast and I didn't? And uh, I still tipped him or whatever. But I, I just remember just like it almost ruining my day where like it, I walked around with it. I was just like, I didn't get breakfast. I wanted breakfast. And I gave that other guy breakfast and I didn't get breakfast. No, no, no. I had to get a burger. I had to get a burger. But I really wanted pancakes. <laughs> so uh, that said, I, 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 I will. You yes. really have to like piss me off to get me to not tip you. Um, I don't know that there's anything that could be done other than, um, you know, being told that, you know, they spit in my food right after I ate it. Uh, that would make me urinate on the counter. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I just, I think it's crazy. Not only because <laughs> I, I will admit that, you know, I was just like, oh, these types of, of crazy things only happen to Florida. So I was surprised to see that it was Canada because um, Canada seems to be far more understanding and uh, at least uh, a little less crazy than the United States when it comes to COVID. Um, so I was surprised by that. But also it's just one of those things like, you know, I don't if, if a store has a, you know, no shirt, no shoes, no service sign up. I obey those rules. I'm not like taking my shirt off before walking into Target. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I just, I don't know. So uh, this was a long time ago. Like um, I, I we were at um a dive, like not a dive, but like a, a greasy spoon here in Cleveland. I'm not going to name it. Um, I was with some college friends, and this girl, this the the waitress came up, and she was this very like, I'm over life. And my one friend was like, "Can I have pineapple juice?" She's like, "We don't have it." And he's like. Oh, he asked something else. And then she left. He's like, I guess that's what I get for asking for something on the menu. And he showed it on the menu to <laughs> us. Like he was just like mystified <laughs> about like, <laughs> how dare I ask for something that's on the menu? Like, <laughs> 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 yeah. So I don't know. I, I would never actively want to urinate. Like one, I don't know. Like, um, Nah, I do like, think that's a loaded question where I'm like, what would make you urinate on a counter? But I, I know that it would never be taken to that extreme. I was just curious as to what. No, would no, I think it's funny, it's, but I don't think it's just, I think it's terrible because this person, whoever they are, is so um, they don't give a shit about anything yeah. other than trying to make a point. And also that they if they've ever worked in the service industry, they never they they took the wrong lessons from it. Cause I, like I always argue that um, people need to work at least like two years in like food service or retail. It's going to really open your eyes about how people treat each other. Like you need to do that. You need to work in the public. Like um, uh, I um, working at an amusement park. I was once yelled at for a, like 25 cents because someone didn't understand how lockers worked. I was, when I was working on blockbuster, someone once yelled at me at the potential of late fees. So I got yelled at for a imaginary amount of money, you know, like you just, when you realize like people get, get so goddamn petty, it opens your eyes about like how everything works and how people are. And I, I am, even when things are wrong, like in terms of like, as long as they don't like bring me something that like, it's completely like, I don't know. Like, it's like, if I ask for something, it's like, listen, I, I can't have this. And they bring me something that's like different, but at least they listen to like, I can't have this. I will. I, 
everybody has bad days. Like you said, like I've, I have uh, messed up so much at like service jobs, like just roll with it. Like be a good person. Yeah. I think just some people don't have the knowledge that the person that they're yelling at has no ability to change things. Mm -hmm. Also, I remember uh, I was working at a gas station and uh, a guy yelled at me about the price of two liter of Pepsi. (laughs) And uh, I remarked to the person I was working with after he walked out the door, I'm like, yeah, I can't, there's nothing I can do. I just work here. Like I don't have any control over the price of Pepsi. And the next guy in line is like, yeah, that's the problem. And I'm like, I'm, excuse me? He's like, yeah, you just, that guy can play and you just wipe it off. I'm like, well, no. I'm like, I, I, there's literally nothing I can do about the price of Pepsi. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I, if he'd have had, you know, an issue with the pump outside or, you know, went into our men's bathroom and said somebody, you know, wiped feces all over the floor and, you know, mirrors, I'd probably have to clean that up. I didn't use that example, but I'm like, these are tangible things that I can try and correct. This is not something that I can, I, I have no say in how they price Pepsi and this little giant gas station chain. Now, I, I guess I can make the suggestion at the next meeting that'll never happen. However, I'm sorry that Pepsi's more than you want it to be. Yeah. I and, mean, also, that's, don't buy it. Go buy, um, was it, um, some big Cherokee Red. Yeah, like I just I, I remember just being mystified. I'm like, do you you think I have way more power than uh, than I actually do? Yeah. So well, the same thing when I was working at the video store. It's like you can do this. I'm like, I really can't. <laughs> like you know, like I, whatever. Yeah, I get it. Like just again, work with the public, and and you should be more. Um, I don't know, like understanding. And it's just also like what somebody can and can't do. I think that I think that's also valid. So, yeah, I, I think my one of my favorite memes in this regard, and I will let this go after this, is uh, it said something along those lines of like, uh, <clears throat> you know, if you've never cried in a walk-in cooler, then I don't want to hear your opinions about food service. <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> I, um, I, I, I literally had a conversation like two days ago with somebody I was talking to at, at the job I work where they they don't understand how how things function and they told me like well i expect this and i had to tell them in my professional position of that's not how this works (laughs) 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 so yeah i get it so anyway and then they immediately they decided to open they tell me like listen i know i'm on the phone with you but i'm peeing all over my furniture i'm like well that's your decision (laughs) you know so anyway uh all right yeah I mean, hmm, I don't think I'd, I just I don't think I'd ever be angry enough to let loose uh, the Kraken, you know. Uh, so here I have a secret story for you, right? Here, All right. Here, here's the headline: <laughs> Raw chicken ends up on the Seattle airport's baggage carousel. That's the headline. So I saw this, and it was one that I was considering. And it, it, <laughs> if you guys were paying attention, we, we were, there was really no news stories that we could cover this evening for the show. And I saw this, but it seemed like it was more of a PSA. Is that correct? Yeah, or? No, no, sir. Let me let me get into it. So, all right. Uh, the, the the TSA shared a video of the unappetizing situation that resulted when a block of raw chicken ended up on the baggage carousel at the Seattle, Seattle airport. Uh, the TSA said in an Instagram post that the chicken had apparently been at a cooler and checked baggage, but it had come free of its container at some point and it ended up as a mass of raw meat on the baggage claim at the carousel at the Seattle Tacoma International Airport. And so this is this is part of their statement. 
Uh, we hear at one time these wings and thighs were cooped up in a cooler. Somewhere between the baggage and carousel, they became free range. Which is amazing. They, they, you, want, you want more chicken puns? Here it comes. Uh, the post said the unhygienic scene should serve as a reminder to ensure checked baggage, especially of the raw meat varieties properly packaged. Don't wing your travel packing. In order to keep from ruffling any feathers, meat should be properly packaged. Ice or dry ice is permitted to keep the flock chilled, the TSA said. In the photo, it's just, well, it's like you just see this. It's like, it's like whenever you go to like, um, like a, like a hibachi place, like, you know, like you go to like, it's like a Japanese steakhouse where they take all the chicken and lay it out. It's like, imagine like a lump of that, <laughs> like on a carousel at an airport. <laughs> yeah. I know that I did that quiz a few months back about what is a, uh, allowed to be brought on yes. uh, airplanes, but I don't know that raw chicken uh, came up within the conversation. But apparently, it's now something else that you can bring along just, with. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, just, I wish, I wish, like, I wish I was a, like a fly on the wall just to watch people react to this lump <laughs> of just raw chicken on the carousel. And I, like, it would have been just been great if someone walked over and be like, "Oh, that's not us." And, like, see them, like, like it's oh, amazing. I thought it was my chicken, but it's not. Oh, like I, I now, tied a red ribbon around ours. Yeah, now, yeah, now, now that that's happened, I kind of like. Have you ever been to like a uh, a Brazilian steakhouse? Have, no. Do you know what I'm talking about or no? No. Okay. Well, we need to go, and it's going to kill us. But we need to go to a Brazilian steakhouse where you sit down at a table and they give you a card. And it's, it's a red, red light, green light situation. So if the card is red, the servers won't come over to your table. But if you flip it to green, it becomes like this pretty consistent carousel of gentlemen bringing out different types of meat. And they just carve it and put it on your plate. So um, I, I, need, I need some kind of like conveyor belt system now in a Brazilian steakhouse. Well, I feel like we we definitely need to do this for research on the show. Research, so. yeah. No, you. So you've never like it's it's amazing. They bring no, out, I've never. They bring heard out of this so before. many types of meat. I'm sure I've had human at some point, and probably <laughs> and probably Velociraptor. Like they start bringing out stuff. I'm like, I what 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 is that? Dodo? Yeah, just please, please put it on my plate. It's fine. Like bring it. Like you pay a premium. Um, which I know, like, you know, like, just just tell your just tell your wife that we're going to go read books that night or whatever. It's fine. And then we can just go to the Brazilian Steakhouse. And um, it is, it's like, um, it's like a meat carousel that just, it just shows up over and over again. Uh, it's amazing. A meat carousel. It sounds like Ron Swanson's. Uh, oh, yeah. Dream. No, he would, he would eat all of God's creatures. And that's what this <laughs> is. Yeah. So I feel like I need a, a, um, like this kind of weird like conveyor system of like meat like yeah there you go I'll take that that's fine it's fine I must see this now take me to this meat conveyor belt yes and we will and so maybe maybe we'll figure out a way like it, we need to do a Brazilian steakhouse but yeah I like the idea that someone was like I got it like because anytime you fly it like it sucks where you're just like I just want to I just want to get out of here I need to grab my luggage <laughs> why is there like a bucket of chicken meat on uh this conveyor belt, like it just, it's, it's amazing. Like the photos of me, cause it's like, it's like, it, it's not just, a, it's, it's like, a, it's a large pile. Like it's, it's like the equivalent size of like luggage, you know, just on this thing, you know? And it's like, you're like, you expect that to go by and then maybe some fixings and then like some sides, like, like if Boston market had like a conveyor system, 
That's what you're hoping for. You know, I don't think I've ever eaten at a Boston market either. Well, so eh, I will go, trust your. No, uh, we'll go to a Brazilian steakhouse first, then then that. So, all right. Um, look at that. That's our news. It went from uh, turtles uh, to peeing on a counter, about upset about food, and then a conveyor belt of raw raw meat. So I think we've hit like everything that the show's ever intended to do. I think. Yeah, I, I think we we just hit the trifecta. All right, so let's just get uh, to uh, One Crazy Summer. And now for our feature presentation. So tonight's feature presentation is 1986 One Crazy Summer, written directed by Steve, Savage Steve Holland. I almost said Steve Holland. No, Savage Steve Holland, which is, uh, I believe, uh, how he likes to be known. Um, and a, I did It's find a weird out first that, name, but I'll allow it. It's fine. <laughs> Savage Steve Holland is a, a nickname that he gained, I believe, back in college. Uh, may have, I may be mixing up my research, though. It, I think it may have actually gone back to his high school days. Long story short, he's always been known as Savage Steve Holland, which I wish I could do something like that with my name. Like, you know, um, uh, I don't know. Uh, well, I like sacrilegious I, Steve King. I, that, that's great. Or, or sacrilegious Steve King. Um, I, I just I want to believe that he was named Savage Holland. Yeah. Yeah, sacrilegious. I want to believe that he's he was actually called Savage Holland. Someone's like, you know, if you ever want to get a job, you better have a normal name. He's like, okay, what about Steve? It's like, there we go. So <laughs> Savage was a family name. I want to believe that. But yeah, if you want to be known as sacrilegious uh, Steve King, I'm fine with that. All righty. That's what's going to go in the uh, podcast info from and, now on. And also in your LinkedIn. Like, <laughs> Uh, so this is a, a follow-up to the previous year, uh, a film that I know Paul admitted uh, at the end of our last episode, I believe. He'd mentioned that uh, he'd never seen Better Off Dead, or maybe that was off air. I no, don't well, remember. I've, yes, that is correct. I've never seen Better Off Dead. It is a blind spot. But for whatever reason, I've seen One Crazy Summer multiple times, and mm-hmm. I adore it. And it's weird that I've not seen Better Off Dead. So, yeah. Yeah, so this is the follow-up to uh, Better Off Dead when uh, – and I don't want to go into Better Off Dead too much, but at the time that Better Off Dead was made, uh, he was kind of a, I don't want to say a wonderkin, but like everything was looking up in his career. Uh, he had made Better Off Dead. It was testing incredibly high. Uh, people were expecting it to come out to be this huge mu- movie. And then there were other people who were like, you know, before this comes out, you know, start working the wheels now on other deals, get things going. And he had made a deal to make one crazy summer before better off dead comes out. Uh, and he didn't really have an idea. He just wanted to set it in, uh, on Cape Cod so that he could film on Cape Cod. Um, unfortunately better off dead, even though it is now, most people think of it as a classic, particularly the, the teenage eighties comedy. I still think it's a masterpiece. Well, masterpiece might be going a little too far, but I think it's, uh, one of the great eighties movies. Uh, along with one crazy summer, um, the uh, the film at the time did not do well financially. So he kind of got to make one crazy summer by default since they had already made uh, Better Off Dead and it was testing well and they thought it was going to be huge. Uh, so to get into a little bit of the cast here, because uh, I feel like I, I jump around a little bit and I don't want to go into other films and other uh, people who worked on it. Uh, I will say that, uh, you know, the star of the film is John Cusack, who was also his lead in Better Off Dead. What's interesting about that is, is that Cusack apparently was not happy 
with the way Better Off Dead came out, which is interesting because I think he shines in that movie. Uh, but I understand that he was a little difficult to work with on this film. Uh, and the fact that the movie did not do well worsened the experience of working with him. And we'll get into that a little bit more when we talk about the the, the movie. And I will say that it doesn't show in, in Kuzak's performance. Um, but I, I guess that he was a little distant on set and wasn't great to work with on this film as opposed to the experience Holland had with him on Better Off Dead. Um, I guess, you know, just because John Cusack is a guy who, um, is sort of synonymous with our age group growing up, you know, uh, there's so many movies that he was in. Do you have a a specific John Cusack movie that you want to make mention of as being a favorite? Well, this and like, I mean, this is going to become much later, but like high fidelity, like I, I like John Cusack and I like that, um, um, he isn't afraid to get into like the, like, Oh, what was the name of that film? It was him. And, um, it was Elijah Wood that was playing the piano and he, Cusack was the assassin was like, you need to be on stage while like, if you don't hit your notes, I'm going to just shoot you. Um, this was much later, like Cusack I, also 1408. He's good. He's really good in that. But like, I've never disliked anytime Cusack's part of anything, I've liked him. I've I've never felt like even like identity or like um a hot tub time machine. He's never been a weak link. Like I, I've liked I've liked every time I've seen him. I've liked him. I I would agree with that. I would also say that uh, when I look at him in say something along the lines, and again, it's a very early role for him, and he's a bit part, but uh, um, like sixteen candles, I see him and I'm like, that's Peter Parker. Like, I feel like if, if we would had the technology to make Spider-Man back in the 80s, John Cusack would have been Spider-Man. Oh, for sure. <laughs> like, I, I think, I mean, especially like when you watch him in this this role where he's kind of like aspiring for something more. But like there's like he he's getting shit on that. That is very much Peter Parker. I would agree with that. Yeah, I think uh, outside of this, uh, obviously, say anything, I think for yeah. uh, again, I keep saying it like we're you know, in our eighties, but, uh, people who grew up around the time that these movies were popular say anything is left a mark on all of us. It's so much so that at my wedding, uh, for our dance, you know, uh, we did, uh, in your eyes and I held up a boom box and you could tell people who didn't understand the reference to people who did. Um, <laughs> but, uh, the other movie that I always go back to is, is I love gross point blank. Yeah, Every time I watch gross point, point blank. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's a movie that I enjoy more and more every time I watch it for some reason. So, uh, it's not nostalgia. It's certainly just, I seem to find more to enjoy out of it every time I watch, which is actually something I could say about this as well, but we'll get into that. We get into the film proper. Yeah, no, okay. I, I do like him. So continue, please. Okay. So next up we've got, uh, Demi Moore, uh, as Cassandra in the film. And I didn't mention this, uh, John Cusack plays Hoops McCann. Demi Moore uh, as Cassandra. I don't know. Um, this is still pretty early in her career, but I feel like she was right before. This is right before she starts to really take off. Yeah. Um, I feel like the next movie that she's in is about last night, which was, um, I would say now isn't nearly as culturally re- relevant as one crazy summer, but at the time was kind of like a big movie for particularly the rat pack of the eighties. Um, those kids who were making movies, uh, at that time. Um, 
Demi Moore, for those of you who uh, don't know, she's been in everything from uh, she, she's kind of taken aback her career, I think, in the last like 10 years. I think she's more comfortable just being herself and mm-hmm. raising her kids or whatever. But, uh, you know, she was in Striptease, which was sort of a quote unquote notorious movie in the 90s, because that's just how repressed we were in the 90s. Um, Burt Reynolds, right? He was in that yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I mentioned about last night. Uh, I think the one that I think a lot of people think about is uh, uh, her and Woody Harrelson and Paul Newman. Um, and I'm just blanking on the title of the film right proposal? now. Is that the one? That, was that it or no? I, I, you you went out on me. I apologize. And decent proposal. Is that what you're talking yes, about? Yes, that is correct. Yeah. Um, and maybe I, I'm missing some big ones. Okay, uh, so she's had. Let me let me back up here. I'm looking at her Wikipedia. So let's let's just do it here. So, '86. Uh, one Crazy Summer, about last night was the same year. Wisdom, which I think I've seen, but it has, uh, it's directed by Emilio Estevez. Emilio! And like, there we go. So, and it has Tom Skerritt and Veronica Cartwright, same year. Uh, um, 1990, Ghost. Yeah, I um, just realized I missed probably the biggest movie of her and, career. Well, and then uh, also, that no, and no, 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 no. He missed her. Her biggest film of her career was 1991's Nothing But Trouble. I've never seen that. I've heard <laughs> the movie. It's it's not great, but it I, I thought it was fun. I'll just say that. Um where where else do you have uh Dan Ackery playing like this super old man with a dick nose? And then you have uh the digital underground, and so you have Humpty Hump and uh Tupac in the film and Chevy Chase. It gets weird. We'll just say that. Um but yeah, so and then she's also uh in a few good men. A decent proposal, which you mentioned, disclosure, which was a big deal at the time. Um, uh, yeah, like, but we we know who Demi Moore is, and she went on to do bigger things from this. Absolutely. Yeah, I try to 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 be brief, but uh, I realize that every time I do that, I leave out big things. Like, I can't believe I left out Ghost. That's probably her biggest film. Uh, well, and also the most meme worthy. <laughs> you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> Uh, so next up, we've got uh, Joel Bur- Joel Murray, and I do not mean this to be as disparaging the way I'm going to say it, but um, he is the brother of Bill Murray, uh, which is probably what a lot of people know him from in the sense of like he's one of the Murray brothers. <laughs> um, that's not to take away from his work, but because he's he's done a ton of work over the years. I, I didn't put uh, that together. I thought this was like a, a relative of like Tim Heidecker. Like he looks very much like like Tim of like Tim and Eric. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I didn't realize he was, I didn't realize he was a Murray of the Murray's, but all right, fair enough. Yeah. I think, uh, if you were watching TV in the nineties, you probably would know him from the sitcom, uh, Dharma and Greg. Uh, cause I think that ran four or five seasons. Was he Dharma or Greg? I'm kidding. Yes. Okay. He (laughs) he was, he played both. He was multi-talented. Yeah. No. Um, but, uh, uh, he's also in Scrooge, uh, for those of you who remember that film. We talked about a couple of years back. Yeah. Uh, that's where the connection to his brother comes in. Um, he's He's got a lot of interesting credits, like one that I don't know that I'd ever bring up. But he's in Shakes the Clown, uh, which is a Bobcat Gulfwave movie who we're going to be getting to next. Which but, was uh, also had Bill Murray in that, right? I don't remember if Bill Murray pops up. It's been a while. Since I thought I've he was. In, I thought he was in that. But also, like this, I, I didn't realize that um, he was this. This gentleman was also in uh, Mad Men, 
Like, I mean, I realized that watching the series, yeah, but like, I didn't know that he was, uh, I didn't, I did not realize he was actual, um, Maria Jason, you know? See, that's interesting that I go to Dharma and Greg because I watched him in a show 25 years ago. And you're like, oh, what about Mad Men, which was relative, like, within like the 10 last years 10 years ago plus. It's fine. Yeah. But he's also yeah. in God Bless America, which is a Bobcat Goldflake film they directed. So there you go. Yeah. And I actually, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, him, Savage Steve Holland, and Bob Goldthwait. Uh I feel like those three are sort of peas in a pod creatively um, in the way they work together. Okay. Um, next up, we've got Bobcat Goldthwait, uh as Egg Stork. <laughs> Obviously, you know, his biggest claim to fame is probably from the Police Academy films in the 80s. I, 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 I hate to say that because he's a, a fantastic writer and director, so I really hate to, to put him in that specific, you know, box. But... Uh, you know, he is also in Scrooge, which we talked about earlier. Um, you know, uh, I know that he was the voice of a dog on a WB show when that first started. And I can't think of the name of it at the time. I, I feel I'm looking like, at his. I feel like Bobcat Goldflake is like Rob Williams adjacent because he has yeah. a lot of that same energy, right? Where, but he also is playing a character, which I guess you could also say. Um, Oh shit! What was that actor, that comedian in like the eighties? That um, oh, oh. Anyway, like there was another, there was another comedian that was like um, oh, he was very loud and obnoxious. That ended up on uh, Married with Children. Um, what's his name? Um, passed away too early. Always wore like a caddy cap. Um, I'm gonna look it up. Uh, but there was this thing where it was like there you were the, this character where you had a voice and you were known for a thing, and Bobcat was known for a thing. And, mm-hmm. um, like, yeah, like you cast him, you know what you're going to get. And then when I went, when I went to go back to watch this film, I watched the trailer, the whole trailer is him talking because he's a no commodity and I love Bobcat Goldflake. Yeah, I, I love him as well. And, uh, I'm realizing that I haven't even got, he's got so many credits. Like for instance, Shakes the Clown was one of his things, uh, which I mentioned previously. Uh, what's interesting about that is, is it's a movie that uh, my partner on the Saturday Night Celestial, Ryan, used to quote all the time, and I'd never seen it. I'm like, what are you quoting? He's like, Shakes the Clown, you've never seen it? And it, that was like a thing. Like, we got to sit down and watch Shakes the Clown. Uh, and what's funny is, is that, like at that time, I think we were living together in like 95 Shakes the Clown to me seemed like an older movie, but it came out in 91, so it had only been around for four years at that point. Um, but he's he's all over the place with his credits. Oh, and I sorry. Think, I was mentioning Sam Kinison. I feel like they were the same kind of kind of guy. They had a character that were like outrageous and obnoxious, and that's kind of where they got their bread and butter. That's what I meant by that. And I didn't realize he was the voice of Uncle Creamy in the episode of The Tick, <laughs> uh, which... Uh, <laughs> The Tick is something we should probably dive into. At some I would love point. to talk about uh, The Tick. Yes, that would be fun. Yeah, I really uh, I really love The Tick. And uh, <laughs> just knowing he was a piece of that now, I'm like, oh, awesome. And, and uh, they actually, Bobcat was actually in also an episode of uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark? <laughs> it's one oh, of those things. Where it's, it's so weird when you go back and watch that. Because like he's kind of playing the character, but kind of not. And it's like... I don't know. Like it's what it's like. I, I I love him whenever he's like whatever he's in. And there's a whole bit in the middle of this movie, which I don't want this to become like a callback to everything that's going on. And like, remember this, remember this. There's a bit where he's trying to um 
console um uh booger about something he's telling a story about like this kid that was overweight and he didn't look like he's <laughs> twin and everybody made fun of him and then booger was like is that you and he's like oh no no i was just i, I was grabbing my helmet why are you so fat why are you so fat and like you know like i love i love how he was like he would just shift and be like that wasn't me even though it was being very very much descriptive that it was me like i love that moment and that was my yeah, terrible great movie that was my terrible bobcat I, I it was not a good bobcat i apologize <laughs> uh that actor is curtis armstrong who we're going to yes, talk about sorry. here in a moment yes. uh playing ak uh but i did uh just discover the uh the show that i was thinking of earlier where he played uh like a uh puppet dog was called unhappily ever after uh it seems weird to bring that up now because it was it ended 22 years ago at this point so that was kind of supposed to be like the heir apparent to um married with children right yeah Which also had sam kinnison as a guardian angel that's why yeah anyway so continue please yes um but i think that now he's probably more well known for his writing obviously his stand-up and then his directing i know um, even though he's gone now, I know that he had a close relationship with Robert Williams and I know that, uh, Williams starred in quite a, if not starred was a piece of a lot of Bobcat's films. And I think mm-hmm. that Bobcat Goldthwait is such an interesting guy, you know, it, it's weird to have this perception of him as doing the character, you know, which in, in police Academy is Zed. Um, and he did it in a standup and it sort of stuck for a while. Um, he's such an, interesting guy like a super funny guy but also um i think just really smart and talented uh when it comes to uh the things that he makes um he's got sort of a uh what's the word i'm looking for here a uh indie sensibility and i hate to use it in that way uh because i think that gets thrown around a little too much uh like oh they're an indie filmmaker but i feel like he's a guy who loves making movies and will do it uh, at whatever he he'll do whatever he needs to, to I get mean, movies. I, I would say indie in the sense of like he's not like he he will approach it the way he wants to approach it, whether or not that fits into a specific like form or like guardrails. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. So um, the last thing I would just mention here because I, I was going to bring it up during our talk about the film, but uh, the first thing that he ever directed. Is is uh he was given a camera to go shoot the uh, footage that was going to be on the drive-in screen. Mm. So that's the first thing he uh, nice. ever directed uh, as a director. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. So after that, we've got Curtis Armstrong. Um, Curtis Armstrong, yes, is Booger in Revenge of the Nerds. That's probably the biggest credit that he has because um, there are I think four of those. Two of them made for TV, but also he's in Risky Business. Um, he's in better off dead. Um, he's, uh, in moonlighting, which I realize also I'm referencing a 30 year old show, but at the time that was a huge show. Um, and he's a character actor. I think is still, he's still getting roles simply because he's a reliable character actor. And I think that he's somebody who maybe gets overlooked a lot of the time because he's a comedic powerhouse, but also able to in, obviously not do it in this film, but I think he's, he's actually quite good when he is given a dramatic role as well. Yeah. But he's also a voice in, um, uh, American dad. Like he, yeah, he's still working and I appreciate that he's still out there. Yeah. I think, uh, 
Every time he pops up, I, I get a big smile on my face. And yes, admittedly, my first exposure to him is Booger from Revenge of the Nerds. But I, I feel like he's a guy who, much like um, uh, we were talking uh, um, a while back when he he'd passed. And uh, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm blanking on his name now. Dick Miller. Yes. Dick Miller, when he passed, like I feel like he's sort of in that same vein where he's a guy that you bring in who will do great work and give you a character, even if there's not much on the page. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, trump you with that, like uh, with uh, Joe Flaherty, the father. Mm. Like he is, like it's the same, it's the same thing, right? Where it's like I, like I, I can't, like, like I seeing him on IMDb, I know his name now, right? But like he's great in this, uh, he's great in like um, Happy Gilmore. Like he's there was the Maniac Mansion TV series. Like every time this guy shows up, which I think he's SCTV royalty. Um, yeah, he's so great. And I like it's one of those guys. It's like I may not know your name, but every time I see you, I trust you're going to do something stupid, and I'm going to love it. Honestly, if I owned Red Lobster, I'd be like, "What do we have to pay to get?" Uh, yeah, him and Sugar McGavin come over, right? So. But the thing I was going to mention, you did mention his SCTV work. Um, he, uh, because the whole premises, you know, premises, the whole premise behind SCTV was that it was, you know, a uh, a TV station. And uh, he was the local horror host and he played a character named Count Floyd. Uh, I loved Count Floyd. Uh, obviously, I have a thing for uh, horror hosts and things like that. But uh Count Floyd was a, one of the characters he portrayed on there. And it's, I will always immediately think of him as Count Floyd before anything else. So um, we'll get to the, to the rest of the cast here. I don't know that there are too many other big names here, but I did want to mention Tom Villard, who uh, um, he's uh, the other Stork brother. Um, yes, he's good. He's so good. Yeah, He's so good in this. Unfortunately, he passed away. Uh, he's Clay. I, I was blanking on his name. I had to go back to the IMDb to look. But he uh, plays Clay Stork in this. He's supposed to be Bobcat's identical twin. Um, he's really funny in this. Uh, it's a very subdued performance. Um, but he was taken, I think, in the early 90s. Uh, the other thing that I think of him for um, is he was in this film called Popcorn, where yes. he's the villain. Um I remember popcorn. I don't remember much about it, but I know it's like one of those big genre films. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a fun movie. Um, I'm trying to think if there's, I'm looking through his, his, uh, his IMDb now to see if there's anything else that I'm missing. He, he does have some credits, but popcorn. And for me personally, uh, this and popcorn are the two that stick out. So, Rather than delay going through the uh, well, right. well, I have a couple more here. If you if you well, can indulge me, sorry, continue, please. Well, I had, I had one other that I was going to mention. I you I can never tell bitch. like if I'm no, talking too no. much about the cast or not enough. No, 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 so no, no, please, please. I'm still trying to get a, a, a you know a feel for that. Um, it's only been three years, Steve. Know. Come on, just just say it. Come on, it's fine. Yeah. So obviously, uh, John Matuzak, um, his biggest role uh, was. Sloth and the Goonies. Uh, he plays a minor character here named Stain. Uh, he's a villain for about three minutes of the movie. Um, this very fun uh, bit of the movie and a great gag with some fish in his hair. Um, and then the other one that I was going to mention um, 
because we've already talked about Joe Flaherty is Mark Metcalf, who when I was growing up, I initially thought of as the guy from the Twisted Sister videos. Um, it, for those of you who know, like, I want to rock, uh, he, he gives the diatribe, like, what do you want to do with the rest of your okay, life? good call. Then, I didn't realize that, but good call. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also, he's uh, the maestro on Seinfeld. Uh, he's in um, Animal House. He's, he's all over the place. He's got a ton of credits. Um, but I was going to mention him real quick as well uh, as being a, uh, <laughs> a bigger part of this film because he's also a character actor, I think, who – who takes on a lot of interesting roles. Okay. So I have a couple more. Uh, if you can indulge me for a minute, I have uh Jeremy Piven as Ty the, the, playing himself. Let's just be honest. Right. Well, um, what's interesting about that is, is that uh, Joel Murray didn't think he was going to get the part of playing hoops, best friends simply because Piven apparently was really good friends with Kuzak and they lived together at the time. So he just assumed that Piven was going to be his character and he was surprised when he actually got the role. No, you're right. So I, I saw that as well. So um, the other person I want to mention here, too, is um, it's Donald Lee, who was like the investor, um, because we've seen him. Oh, uh, He was Eddie Lee in uh, Big Trouble Little China. He was also in um, the original Avengers. Like this this gentleman, he's very recognizable. Um, just I don't know. Like you've, you've seen him. And I thought that was fun to have him pop up this and also, you know, like he was the guy that was laughing whenever uh, there was the destruction of um, uh, the little tiny landscape, you know? So, uh, and also later on when he was denying the bank loan. So yeah. also, uh, uh, sorry, I, I did the two more. Sorry, 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 sorry. There's the, who was we get to it was Tyler Negron and mm-hmm. um, cause he's always Rich great Hall. and Rich Hall when they were playing the attendance at the gas station. Um, they're great. I, I like I I am appreciating uh, Tyler Negron more and more. I have adored Rich Hall, which I just sent you. Uh, was it yesterday or the day before that SNL skit with Rich Hall and Christopher mm-hmm. Reeves? Christopher Reeve, where those Superman auditions. He yeah. like it's the it's early Saturday Night Live, so it's a little weird. You got to kind of like deal with it, but like his his commitment to everything about how being so nonchalant about how Superman reacts to things is so amazing. I love Rich Hall and it was great to see him in this film. Yeah. I, I think of, uh, I think of him particularly, uh, from not necessarily the news, That's which fair. is probably where he goes after SNL. Unfortunately, he was, <laughs> there are a lot of amazing, talented people in that cast, but they were the first cast to take over after you know, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Garrett Morris, Gilda Radner, John Belushi. They're the first cast and they didn't they didn't get the chance that that other casts would later get. Um, but, you know, he was there with, you know, Juliet Louise Dreyfus and um, a couple other people who's, you know, I don't want to go into the cast too much. But um, this was, he was, was this the, the, the Ebersol year, like the year or two. I don't think it's ever. I think Ebersol doesn't take over until like uh, the failure of that. Okay, uh, fair. But but Rich Hall's selling of the bullet catch in that skit is so much fun. Like I love, I love just how matter of fact he is. Like the Superman tryouts where it's like, oh, you got Jim Belushi just, uh, (laughs) just like I don't know. It was the algorithm on YouTube showed me that skit, and I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. it's Rich Hall. 
who was also on Crazy Summer. Like he he does a bit on stage where he'll grab two mic stands and be like, "All right, here's a new show that I'm working on called Chicken Ops Destruction," and he will bring the the mic stands up like so it looks like chicken legs. And he's like, "Push!" Like I just, like, <laughs> I just yeah, I, I just yeah. He's. I mean, he's the other fun. thing from from Rich Hall, obviously, I think the biggest thing is uh, the idea of Sniglets. Yes. Um, do you remember Sniglets? I do. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but we also got Rich Little as the disc jockey. We didn't see for a second, but whatever. Anyway, no, th- that's the cast. Um, there's other people here too. Um, yeah, th- this thing is this is this thing is stacked in terms of like comedic talent. Um, so with that being said, um, I, I mean I've seen this film multiple times and I adore it. So it's going to be hard to really do like an objective look at it. Um, someone put this to you whenever I was, I was like, I, I was finishing it the other day. I didn't, I didn't watch it with my wife, but I showed her the Godzilla sequence previous to this. Um, and she's like, is this dumb? Like an airplane film? I'm like, kinda. So where do you place this type of humor in this? Cause I think it's unique. Where do you, where do you place this? Wow. I, I feel like it's, it's between your John Hughes 16 candles type humor and between airplane. Like for instance, watching this, I don't know. Maybe I realized it before and I just forgot and didn't realize it until rewatching it again. I never realized that the name of the high school is generic high school and the town <laughs> they live in is generic. generic. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Me neither. <laughs> for whatever reason, I never caught that. But no. this, this watch, I was like, how did I never catch that it's generic and and that it says generic high school on the, on top of the, uh, the building. I, I never caught that. Um, you know, there's, there's things that happen in this that are so non sequitur and sort of just one-off jokes. Like, you know, at the beginning when everybody is celebrating the graduation, you know, we cut to a guy hugging hoops and then he just kind of falls over because he's got a, uh, graduation hat stuck in the back of his, it's stuck in his back. Yeah, it's like, like it's like a ninja star. Everything just like yeah. gets launched up in the air. And I love that John Cusack sells the hell out of it. I'm like, oh no, he's not going to make it. This sets him in his chair and moves on. But we also and, have the bit too, we have the bit too where his buddy was like, yeah, he's like, um, he's like, well, what's this word say? He's like, that's your last name. He's like, oh. Like, <laughs> well, I also love the fact that he's talking about like his. You know, his mom thinks he's irresponsible and he's like, you know, their parents, they don't know what they're talking about. You know, my mom thinks I'm irresponsible. Eh, whatever. And like it pans away from him putting something in his car and you see that the Christmas tree has been tied to the top of his car for probably at least six months at that point. Uh, yeah. Um, and then Hoops is talking about the fact that uh, his parents don't believe in his art. Uh, at all and and that he could maybe get a scholarship to art school so like his graduation gift is a sweet uh street sweeper well yeah because you go through like like because his buddy who is um was joel murray was mm-hmm. like saying like oh look at all like this is where we're gonna arrive and you get your car because you graduated high school and it's like boom 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 like all these sweet rides and then we see a street sweeper and then cusack's like oh uh, Nantucket or whatever he says. Like, <laughs> yeah, let's just get out of here. Like, like, um, so I would describe this as, um, airplane adjacent, like, um, because there is some outrageous moments in this, this movie and it's amazing and everything pays off, which, um, people can come at me and say like, 
I, I believe there's a difference between dumb, dumb and smart, dumb in this film is smart, dumb in the sense of like, yeah, we have our gags. It's going to be idiotic and, and like, like lowest common denominator, but like give it a moment. There's going to be callbacks. It's going to pay off whatever, like at least, at least it gives the audience like credit to like pay attention. And that's where I think there's the greatest payoffs in this. Like, I think it is kind of Zucker brothers in the sense that there's sometimes background gags. There's also the bit too, whenever um, like hoops and his friend, like, like hoops is staying with his friend over the summer. And there's the grandma who is accommodating, but there's a bit where everybody's at dinner and she's like, Oh, everybody's good. And like, and then Cusack's like, yeah. And then the grandmother gives him a bill and everybody looks up in the air and adjacent from like, <laughs> nobody wants this like bill. And he's like, I got it. Like, it's so it's so dumb, but there's also the bit later where it's like, hey, Curse Armstrong, you could probably crash um, with this person's grandmother. Um, she has reasonable rates. <laughs> like, it's like <laughs> it's like this thing where it's like every everything kind of ties together and it pays off. And like some of it's like like you got to live you got to live in this like cartoon world. However, I think this is the cartoon um, John Hughes world. I think that's where we got to kind of view this, where it's like, it's the John Hughes reality of like boy meets girl. Uh, they kind of care for each other. There's opposition, there's falling out and uh boy does things to get girls attention again. And like ultimately it wins, but there's like setbacks like this. This is taking the piss out of every eighties summer film and relationship film. And like, like meaning it's actively aware of what it's doing and still like kind of leaning in. Like it's, it's a weird beast. And what I mean by that is like, it still, it still makes fun of everything and it breaks all the walls, but it also pays off, which I'm going to put this to you. Um, this kind of film can't be made now. Like, I don't think it can. There's a weird window of like the late eighties, early nineties where this could exist and we could appreciate for what it is. I feel like now there's, there's sarcasm here and there's winking to the audience here, but I feel like we, the pendulum has swung too far to where you can't do this again. There's a certain magic here that can't be captured again. And that's my hot take. It's a good hot take. I, I feel like there's a lot of times where people will bring up ideas and be like, well, you couldn't do this movie now. You can't make Blazing Saddles now. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, maybe you could, but maybe you put it in the hands of somebody who is uh, not uh, Mel Brooks. Maybe you give that to somebody like, and again, I'm not using this as, this is just a generalization, but like somebody like a Jordan Peele, who's got a background or, or in Or like a Trey Parker, Matt Stone. If they did an update right. of Blazing Saddles, that would be... You're right. Like, right. Like, yeah. like given in the right hands, I think that you can do those types of movies. I, I, I really don't like that idea of like, Oh, well, you know, you couldn't do this, this movie today. It's like, okay, well also that movie's a product of its time. So let's take that out of the equation. Um, but you can do an updated version of it. Absolutely. But with that in mind, when you're talking about, you know, that limited time frame where this was popular or at least, not in these this respect because both this and uh, Better Off Dead aren't huge hits. You know, the thing that came to my mind was, is, uh, you know, a few years later, 
is the Farrelly brothers. I feel like they kind of capitalize on this. You know, uh, the biggest hit of theirs is probably there's something about Mary. And I would say that this walks a lot of the same lines. They don't go as extreme. Although, you know, they, they have the dog going out the window and being in a cast and left in the car and uh, sperm in the hair. So, like, it's a little dirtier, but I think it's the same idea. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like this is the type of humor also that's permeated animation. Um, this feels very much, particularly with background jokes and things going on with characters where you're like, oh, that's a funny one-liner if you don't if if you're paying attention. I feel like The Simpsons obviously did that. I feel like Family Guy copied that. Um, you know, I think it's something that's probably being more done in animation. I would love to see this style of movie done today. Um, and I, I don't want to, you know, take away from this movie too much in the sense of like having a discussion about it because I feel like we haven't really talked about the bones of it, but. One of the things that um, Savage Steve Holland has talked about is that he realizes that there will probably not be a a point where he'll ever work with John Cusack again. But he and Bob Goldthwaite are still friends, and they want to do a follow-up called One Epic Fall. Um, And it was going to (laughs) be now with him, Joel Murray, and uh, Curtis Armstrong, because he's like, I don't think Demi will come back. I I don't think, uh, you know, John would come back, but he's like, I would really love to do this sequel, which now I'm like, oh, my God, like, give me that movie. I want to, you know, it'll be tough to, you know, explain what happened to Clay uh, because unfortunately he passed away in real life. And, you know, but you could totally build that, you know, a movie out of, you know, Joel Murray's character just going back to Cape Cod and and seeing both Ak-Ak and uh, Egg. So, yeah. I'd be I think there'd be there there would be a certain amount of like you know you, you could do this right so I agree with all that and I think that I, I well what I was reading is like Cusack and and Holland kind of like they it it it's been better since but also like I think Cusack has been more aware of like um, self parody because he did the first like Hot Tub Time Machine film where he wore a gray hoodie. He looked a lot like Lord Do- Lloyd Dobler, right? Like, it's just like, mm-hmm. you need to lean in a little bit on this. And, but I feel like also you, people knew you from uh, better off dead and one crazy summer. And, you know, um, Oh, um, shit. The other thing, the, the other film with the, the boom box, what was that? Um, say anything. There you go. Like say all the things, you know, that, that film, um, like, there's a certain amount of like, oh, this is what's came, come before. Um, but like there, there is a weird, there is a weird sweetness to this and a weird, like, um, it's hard. It's, it, it's hard for me to dismiss this film as fluff because there's so much thought and heart and put in it. And people, if you've not watched this, it is readily available. It's like three bucks to rent. Please, 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 please watch one crazy summer um because it, it also is kind of like taking all the tropes of like 80s like summer movies and like because all of them were like oh here's the outsider there's the jerk that's near here like um we've talked about cobra kai like we've talked about it's like it's this thing where it's like it's the outsider like challenging like the jerk who is privileged and their success there and it's like it takes all the tropes and it still hits them, 
but it gives us its own like spin and thought that is um it's a lot of fun but also like some of the bigger gags that take a while to pay off like uh hoops being named hoops never hitting a shot until with counts that's fun Mm -hmm. um bobcat being left to watch all the props and the truck for (laughs) the jaws uh sequel yeah with him wandering around and grabbing all the costumes it's a delight and then him seeing godzilla and getting into the, like I like that that takes like it takes like t- like fifteen minutes to set up like the ultimate gag, but everything along the way is funny, which I feel like now if you did like a a movie that's just full of references you just get reference reference reference, but this thing it lays the groundwork so it pays off when you get Bobcat in the Godzilla outfit with a cigar like in the suit and he can't get out of it and him panicking and running across a, um, like a model for this exposed expansion is it takes a while, but the payoff is amazing. And it's, it's very adjacent to the, um, um, arrested development episode. I'm sure that those involved saw this, like it's just one of those things where it's like, Oh, you're giving me a, a Godzilla homage but it took you 10 minutes to get here. My hat's off to you. I adore it. So I'll say uh, I have a couple of thoughts. So I'm trying to organize them ahead. First, I'll just say there's not a mean spirit in this movie at all. Like there's nothing mean spirited about it. Um, it's, it's straight up um, silly comedy, but also with a, um, an edge to its, uh, story in the sense that it's also a romantic comedy in some senses. It's also a um, hero's journey in the sense of like, you know, kids graduating high school and trying to figure out what they're doing with their lives. Um, and I realize I'm, I'm applying these things to something called one crazy summer. I get that. I, I may be uh, gushing a little too much over something that, um, you know, <laughs> When earlier in the show, I'm like, oh, I'm going to take Christopher Pegg down a notch or Christopher Nolan down a, a yeah. notch. Um, that said, I feel like there's heart to this. I feel like the jokes. Yes, they're dumb jokes, but they're good, dumb jokes. Yes. Um, and it's smart, dumb. Yeah. And, and your whole, you know, reference to making references. It's the issue that I've always had with Family Guy, where it's always just felt like we're referencing something because it's a reference. Like you don't get to Godzilla until like, I don't know what you're an hour into the film. And it's never even presented. Like there's a Godzilla costume in the truck until he discovers it. So it's not even like they're building to the joke. All we know is, is that there's a movie that's being filmed. There's props on set and the film that's being made is foam Two, which is supposed to be a killer dolphin movie. That is, you know, a ripoff of Jaws. I don't feel like it's, you know, and I don't have that much experience with Family Guy, but I remember uh, the episodes that I have seen always contained references to movies where it's like, here's a montage of us cleaning something just like in Revenge of the Nerds and we'll play the same music and we'll do the exact same jokes. Fine, but what does it have to do with the episode? Why is this here? Um Again, that's me just beating up Family Guy because I'm one of the few people who isn't 
absolutely crazy about it 20 years later. Um, Spoiler. Come yeah, on. I know. A uh, hot take from Steve. You didn't like family yet. Uh, <laughs> no, I just, yeah. I, I feel like this is a specific style of comedy. I think it's done well. I think that uh, there's a specific mind and hand behind it. Um, and I think that's also why it works so well. Whether you uh, agree with that or not, I feel like so much of Steve Holland is in this movie and the DNA of it. And we haven't even talked about the fact that, and I know that you haven't seen Better Off Dead, but both these films have animated sequences that he did because his background was in animation. Well, it's funny because I was showing uh, my wife some of this and she was like, she's like, is this? I'm like, it's not, um, it's not, uh, oh, um, Felix the Cat. It's not, um. Eek the cat? Not Eek. No, Felix the cat. Well, oh, I was just going to point out that he created Eek no, the cat. No, he created, the, yeah, we know that. But it was like, she was thinking it was Bakshi that was like pushing things for the oh, animation. Okay. Yeah. Well, you, know, you know, Steve, from your favorite film, Wizards, you know, whatever. Did you hear that? That was the sound of crickets, people. Oh, no. Okay, continue, please. No, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, that was that's also part of the charm to this is that you have him doing these animated sequences that weave in and out of the film um, that are particular to the character. And we see um, not only his emotions played through, but also like big story beats in the sense that, you know, he starts the film with this animation piece where Hoops is trying to get into art school and he's got to have something about love, like a, a great love story. And he's like, I've never been in love. How would I know? Um, and it's a very funny sequence, uh, when the little fuzzy bunnies get theirs, but, uh, and if you haven't seen the movie, you'll get that joke when you get there, uh, which is in the first 10 minutes of the movie. But those animated sequences are a big piece of this movie as well. And I don't think we've seen that many movies that really kind of jump between formats as well. I think that that's, it's really interesting the way that the animation is interconnected within the story, because it also comes a, a, a point later where he's trying to help Cassandra get people to come see her at the Dewdrop Dewdrop Inn by showing an ad that he created by animating a ad for her and dis- displaying it on a uh, movie theater screen or a drive-in th- uh, screen. No, I think that's fair, and I just it it um. It waffles between like um, heartfelt reality and the absurd, absurd is absurd is Absurdity is that the word? Sure, it's not a real word either. I'm, I'm absurdity uh, is not a real word. I don't know. I'm I'm pretty sure absurdity is a real word. I have been drinking, and I apologize to everybody listening. Uh, Absurd ish nish ish 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 ish. Um, it just it waffles. all I right, like this so movie. we'll just point this out here real yes. quick. Dictionary.com. Absurdity is a real word. It's the quality or state of being ridiculous or wildly unreasonable. Okay, thank you for confirming it. I th- This film it exists in like this uh, this middle ground between like real or not. And I like to the point of like, oh, there is emotional stakes. Also, there's a guy buried in the sand multiple times. And an overweight guy sits on a, a lawn chair eating beans, you know, like, 
which is fun. I love that the 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 um like the EMS guys that come out, they just like started fist fighting over like, no, you're gonna give him uh, mouth to mouth. No, you <laughs> like it's just it's just. But but prior to that though, uh, Bobcat uh, gives a really young kid um, the. <laughs> The control of a kite and the kid just floats away. Like, <laughs> I, like he's just like, ah, ah, okay, ah, okay, you know, like, uh, why, why is my bobcat a Ray Romano? I don't know, but I, I appreciate ah, that. You guys, ah, 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 you know, yeah, just yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Also, like the like as much as there the, there's comedy in like the last third. They're still like the regatta sequences, which is a lot of fun. Like, I don't know. Like this film is a, the quintessential eighties movie of the outsider acknowledging like the power structure and like the problems with it and challenging it. Um, but it still has like the, the montage of them getting ready, which I'm going to blame the eighties right now. I'm going to, here's my hot take. The 80s made me believe that as long as you play a three-minute song, you can do whatever you want to do. Um, now that we've been like trying to make a, like, a patio in our backyard, that's a lie. Um, because <laughs> you can't fast forward through it. No, it sucks. You can't just be like, oh, here's our plan. Roll it out. And then we're going to paint things for a second. And then like be weird and cute. You know? No. Oh, like work takes time and work is work and the 80s lied to me you know like uh whatever anyway the montage is a lie that's that's my hot take but no like it just this thing like it it leans into all the tropes of 80s um fish out of water um like challenge films but it also takes the piss out of it and i love one crazy summer and it is worth if, if you guys have not seen this film um, watch it. It's a lot of fun. Does it make the most sense? No. When you have the Stork brothers doing a dance uh, in the courtyard of like the rich asshole, when they dump a bunch of lobsters into a chlorinated pool, that doesn't make sense. But when they dance and high five and run away, it's a lot of fun. Um, the Godzilla sequence is a lot of fun. This movie just, it just tickles me the entire time. We didn't even get into the dog named Bosco, which I'm going to throw that to you now. Um, the space dog. Um, yeah, it's just like that pays off like multiple times and it should not. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. So, uh, I last episode during Paul's game, uh, he wanted to know a little bit more about our animals and I, I, our dogs specifically. Um, and I mentioned that we had a dog named Bosco. Uh, it must've been in the, the recesses of our, our brains. Cause my wife also loves this movie. Um, She's a big fan of uh, there's a, a scene where uh, they're playing around with a video camera and the uh, <laughs> clay is filming his brother, egg Bobcat Goldthwait doing something with his feet. And he talks about uh, coming from the planet of the toes. It's r- ridiculously dumb, but my wife quotes it all the time. Um, but for whatever reason, neither of us really made the connection that we picked Bosco um, and it may have been seated in this. What the way the Bosco came up in our discussions was is there's an episode of the of Seinfeld where George doesn't want to give anybody his pin to his his bank card, and it just happens to be that it's Bosco, and he won't tell anybody. But 
Jay Peterman's mother is in a hospital and he's sitting with her and no one's in the room and he thinks she's going to die. So he's like, I got to tell somebody and I don't want to tell anybody who could use my card, but I'm going to tell somebody. He tells her his passcode is Bosco. And then she like wakes up right before dying and she just starts saying the name Bosco over and over again. (laughs) And nobody can figure out what that means, except, uh, you know, George obviously knows Um, and hijinks ensue. But that was always the origin for us picking the name was uh, uh, the reason that George picked Bosco was it was his favorite uh, uh, additive to a a glass of milk to make chocolate milk Bosco syrup. Uh, so we were like, Bosco just seems like the right name for some reason. And uh, I think it was seated somewhere in the back of our brains that also the dog from One Crazy Summer is Bosco. <laughs> yeah, I just like watch this. I'm like, is this what's going to happen? And if I make fun of your dogs, are you going to slap me on the back and my face will get frozen? <laughs> no, I would not do that. But I do love there's there's little jokes in here, too. Like the, the, the little girls carrying a. Uh, Ron and Nancy lunchbox, which I'm sure kids watching today are not going to get. But it's so weird because everything back in at that time, much like things are today. But, uh, you know, it was really we're spreading into areas where things that had not been well, like, for instance, with He-Man there. That was one gigantic toy commercial back in the day. And it sort of spread out where you have like G.I. Joe, Transformers, all those things. Being on lunch boxes, you know, Ron and Nancy being on a lunch box, box I think was really a funny idea. Um, and then obviously the kids making fun of the dog and then getting stuck with their faces the way they are, uh, which comes back like five minutes later in another joke, which is amazing. Um, and I think that's also what I really like about this movie is, is they they don't put a joke in just to leave it there. They come back to it somehow. They'll find a way to like, well, we we planted this seed 20 minutes ago. We're going to come back to this joke now. And I think that's, what's great about this movie. Well, no, there's payoffs and it keeps, it just keeps showing up. So yes, yes, yes. I, I, it's hard to really pick apart this film because it's like, I, I dig it. And people should watch one crazy summer. It's available for like three bucks to stream. Please, please, please watch this. We like, Congrats to, to to you and I, Steve. We've not ruined a lot of this. There's a lot of fun here. And it, it's dumb, but also like purposeful dumb. And I will g- always give it credit. So I'm glad that we watched this coming into Labor Day weekend. That quote unquote in the summer. Um, it's a lot of fun. And please watch it. Um, yeah, I think it's great. Yeah, I mean, I'll just point out that I, I, I run lots of things. So it's... it's uh unusual that i didn't ruin this but uh uh, that's a joke people i I just wanted to say real quick to um you know again i i can tell when nostalgia when i watch something and i'm like oh i like this because it's nostalgic i don't get this from that movie or i don't get that from this movie I, i i every time i i have revisited this film i found new jokes or things that make me laugh um you know, the thing that obviously when this comes out in 86, I, I saw it in the theater. So I was probably 11 going on 12. You know, the Godzilla bit was the funniest thing to me ever. Like I just <laughs> I roared in the theater. I remember watching it uh, as a kid and just dying of laughter. Um, 
you know, I still chuckle at it, but there are things now in the movie that I appreciate 35 years later that still make me laugh. I don't know that there are that many movies that I can go to and be like, oh, here's something that I found value in 35 years ago. I mean, there are plenty, sure, but like I can tell when I'm enamored with the nostalgia of it and what that movie meant to me at the time versus a movie that's still hitting me in different places this amount of time later. The, so the, the part that, that tickled me upon the revisit was whenever the Stork brothers go up to um, all the asshole blonde guy's house and they go knock on the door and they're getting his keys. And he does the whole, like drop the keys and do like, Oh, you look down, look up. And he like, like, like hit them in the nose and mm-hmm. it's like walked away, closed the door. <laughs> like, I don't know why it was so, <laughs> it was so quick and stupid, but it just made me laugh where it just they reaffirmed that he was a jerk. Like, I, like <laughs> that that made me laugh so much. I just I don't know. And we we talked about Curse Armstrong and his uh, father. Like there there's emotional beats in this film. Like it's like it's light, but there's payoffs. And mm-hmm. like I don't know. Like also with uh, uh, his father like training all these Boy Scouts. Like there there's this weird tactical el- element of this. It's like you can't do that now. Um, and how all of them wanted to rescue everybody. Like there's these weird payoffs that happen later. Like everything leads to the next thing. And you don't get that much anymore because there's this weird, um, um, like if you don't pay off the joke in the moment, like there's the expectation that the audience isn't going to get it. And I think one crazy summer has like that dumbness, but also like some payoffs, like, it's a weird it's a weird thing where when my wife said is this like airplane airplane also has callbacks but it's like constant chaos this mm-hmm. is trying to like walk this line between like yeah give us a minute but also be invested in the characters and like this is this is it's kind of like it's its own animal and i appreciate that and i always will so that's my that's what i'm gonna say about that that's your final thought sure uh yeah do I drop say, in this, to my final thought. Yes, please. Yes, your, your Jerry Springer final thought. For me, I think that uh, what appeals to me, and again, I, I've talked about this in other things that we've viewed and watched. Uh, you know, I'm a character guy. You know, the plot is pretty basic to this film. It, it's not like the plot is what pushes this along, but the fact that the jokes work so well, that you love all the characters, the fact that. Um, you know, the emotion, the emotional beats that are there are resonant, um, but they're not there to make you like weepy or like trying to, to pull strings. Um, they create genuine characters. And I feel like this film, along with better off dead, which I am now going to say that maybe next year we should do a year of movies that one of us hasn't seen. Um, I, I would love to talk about better off dead. Um, because, it seems weird to me that you've not seen it, um, particularly since it's so close in relation to this. Um, maybe it won't hit you the way that One Crazy Summer does. I will say, uh, and this may actually be heresy for you know Savage Steve Holland fans. You know, I prefer One Crazy Summer to Better Off Dead, but I think there's enough there that you'll you'll dig that movie as well. And I would love to talk about okay, that with you. you but that. I think that's a great idea. Like where we. Um we can, the blind spots, right? I think that yeah. like the year of the blind spot. There you go. 
Like, yeah. yeah. I'm down with uh, that. Please, please, please. I think it'd be a lot of fun. So, yeah, I just, I just wanted to say, you know, between those two movies, this very much feels like movies that are made by guy, by a person who has a, maybe not a vision, but, it feels very much of a world and a creative take that we hadn't gotten before. And, uh, I wish we lived in, and he has, and I should say this cause I feel like I've, I've downplayed his success after this. You know, he does go on to do other things. He is very successful, but I do feel like I would have loved to live in reality where these two movies came out huge and he'd have gotten to make other things that, uh, uh, would have been in his voice. We'll put it that way. I agree with that. So let me um, find out where, um, here, one second. I have the box office mojo up here. So we've talked about the year of um, uh, 86 before. So One Crazy Summer was number 65 with a box office total of uh, $13 million and change. Did you want to do a little bit of higher or lower before we get to the game? Sure, we can do that. All right. So uh, the Delta Force, higher or lower than uh, One Crazy Summer? Wow, it was a Cameron film. I'm gonna say higher. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's a rare rarity. Uh, yeah. Seventeen million and change. So yeah, slightly better. Um, let's see here. Um, Care Bears movie two, a new generation. I'm gonna say less than because oh. I, I feel like at this time there were a couple of movies that were released that were just episodes strung together in a movie. Okay, um, I fair. remember like a Heathcliff movie came out and something else. So I'm gonna say lower. You're right. So that came out at 8 million. So, all right. So then, um, Labyrinth, better or worse than a uh, little, uh, I'm sorry, Little Shop of Horrors. Sorry, One Crazy Summer. <laughs> better than Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. I know. Uh, well, here, spoiler <laughs> Little Shop of Horrors is too above. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So, uh, I'm going to say, God, Labyrinth. While it's a cult film now, it's very much in the same way that this is. Um, I'm going to say it did worse. It did. Um, unfortunately, 12 million plus. Howard the Duck, better or worse than One um, Crazy Summer? Howard the Duck was a flop, but it was not a flop uh, to the extent that, uh, this probably was, even though this did do better than better off dead, I'm going to say it did better. You're right. So <laughs> 16 million, some change song of the South, the 86 re-release. Oh God. I want to say it did worse. Please <laughs> it did worse. Is that your final answer? Yes. No. <laughs> song of the South. Um, made 17 million and change. So no, oh my um, God, right. That mm. $17 million for a release of song of the South for God's sake. No, mm. it was brought back multiple times and made money. No, like, yeah. I get that. But you know, 86, we've got VHS, you know, I, I, yeah. All right. What about, what, here, here, how about this soul man, better or worse than, uh, <laughs> oh, the C. Thomas Howell movie yeah, um, of him taking ejections to have yeah. darker skin just to qualify for a college scholarship. That wasn't problematic. I was just going to say, if there's ever a movie that uh, like just the, the premise of it is problematic. Wow. Um, 
And I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that that may have been pointed out at the time too, where people are like, really, we're going here. <laughs> um, <laughs> God, I hope it's worse. Uh, no, it was better. It was better than, um, I went crazy summer. So, um, where, where, I just found it. I was, I was finding something else to, to tease you with. Um, where was that? Uh, soul man. Oh, where's that? Um, You're just asking me soul man again. Yeah. Let's ask you again. No. <laughs> uh, space camp, better or worse. I'm going to say better. I feel like Space Camp was kind of a flop, but I think it did better than this. Well, you're wrong. It did less. It was like under, it was like 9.6 million, right? So, um, all right. Um, big Trouble in Little China, better or worse than White Crazy Summer? I feel like that's a movie that didn't do well financially at the time, but I feel like... What was the what did one crazy summer make? Was it thirteen million? Yes. Big Trouble in Little China did better, but probably not by much. Well, you'd be wrong. Eleven million. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, uh, so Song of the South did seventeen point six million. We live in a world where Song of the South came out in 1986 and yeah. did better than and, and Big Trouble in China. Okay, oh. Soul Man did better. Um, can, where were you at with millions? Where do you think it did? Soul Man, $15 million. $27.8 million. You're kidding me. Well, that's what it says. <laughs> oh, God. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Phrase Revenge, better or worse? Oh, that did better. It did do better. It was uh, 14 million change. I was going to um, say, there's no way they, they make Nightmare on Elm Street 3 <laughs> if that movie did worse. Okay. So. I have, um, let's, let's do, um, let's do uh, two more. Texas Chainsaw 2. Oh, that was a big failure. Uh, I love that movie, but uh, that movie was a huge cannon flop. Uh, they didn't understand what they were getting, and they didn't understand that Toby Hooper wanted to make something crazy and over the top and completely <laughs> I think it's in contrast to the original but a lot of people are like that movie's hilarious so um, I love Texas Chainsaw 2 because it's over the top but it was a huge failure if I remember correctly okay, you're fair that's uh, fair it, 8 million and some change right so okay um, all right um, I, I had two more but I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out um, another one here um, blue velvet, better or worse than, um, Oh Summer. boy. Paps blue ribbon. Yeah. Uh, Paps, I ain't a kin. Paps I can't blue do velvet. Quote. We, right. we, we don't curse on this show, so I can't do the quote, but, uh, <laughs> David Lynch, uh, I'm going to say better than worse than 13. I'm going to say it did worse. It did 18, sorry, 18, 8 million plus. So it did yeah. even it did, it did even worse than Big Trouble in China. So, all right. Um, did I say Legend? Did we talk about Legend or no? Yet? No, we talked about Labyrinth. Labyrinth, Legend, better or worse? This last one. Wow, this is a tough one because I I feel like Legend wasn't the hit that it was expected. I mean, that's Ridley Scott. It's completely visionary um it's such an interesting weird movie 
but I don't know that audiences were there for it at the mm-hmm. time. I'm going to say it did better, but maybe not by much. That's fair. You win uh, 15 million. But also last one, I lied. One more, one more. Critters. Better or worse than Winter's <laughs> Summer. Because Critters well, is life. That's the last one I we get into. I was just say, the Krites. Um I'm going to say better. I feel like that was an unexpected hit. Well, it was an expected hit. However, it did worse. Uh, 12 million change. Mm, I think I set the bar too high. Although, you know, if you want to have a Critters discussion, I'll go on record right now and say that uh, <laughs> Critters 2 is better than Critters. So I, I would agree go. with that as well. Um, I mean, from somebody that's watched all of them. So, yeah, I that was a fun game real quick. I know you have a game as well coming in. Um, yeah, uh, that's going to do it for our discussion about One Crazy Summer. Um, please, 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 please watch the film. It's a lot of fun. We didn't even get into um, uh, chili bean farts. Like we didn't even get into uh, EMTs punching each other. We didn't even get into the like being by the phone and listening for the jingle to get like the one million dollar prize. We didn't even get into the animation of the fuzzy bunnies. There is a lot of fun to be had here. Um, it's an enjoyable movie. It has held up and it is, it exists in its own time, but it also kind of acknowledges the tropes of, um, I adore this movie and people should watch it. I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And if, if you're one of those kids who's like, Oh, I really want to see like a movie that feels like the eighties. I feel like one crazy summer is an eighties movie. I mean, obviously it is an eighties movie, but I don't, I don't feel like it's, overdone uh to the, the extent of some 80s movies where people try to use those examples where it's like okay well that was the commercial version of 1980s this is probably what closer to what the 1980s are even though it was much more satirical yeah so there we go so that's going to do it for our discussion about one crazy summer that's going to do it for our uh summer discussion so if you guys want to go back and listen to um our uh pale boy summer i think you should it'd be a lot of fun Go back to all the that and this and whatever. And you guys can find us on Facebook and, and Invasion of the Podcast. You can email us directly at invadingpodcast.gmail.com. Uh, rate and review us wherever you find your podcast. It would be greatly appreciated. And if you enjoy this conversation every three hours that we do, um, let people know. It would be great. And the more the merrier. And Steve, what are you doing and how can people buy your things that are worthy of them buying your things? Alrighty, last episode, I think I'd mentioned that I was going to put our Etsy store on vacation, quote unquote. Uh, I haven't done that yet. So Art of the Slash is still up right now on Etsy um, as being open. So I guess jump in if you want to buy a copy of the comic uh, right now. But we'll probably be closing down for at least a month uh, for sales. So if you want to buy issue one, two, one or two of the Science Slasher or our anthology comic, uh, beyond sunset you can do that right now on art of the slash uh if you want to reach out to me you can find me on facebook and instagram under the saturday night slasher perfect so all right so um we're about to to get into um the game here that is about uh it's a minor game about minor characters so let's just do that time to play the game time to play the game (laughs) 
So tonight's game is actually inspired by a character from One Crazy Summer that we did not talk about at all. Uh, so one of the things I think is fun about movies is there will be minor characters who pop up that make the experience of the film even more enjoyable. Um, in One Crazy Summer, there's a character named Uncle Frank who spends the entire movie trying to win a radio contest to win a, a thousand or I'm sorry, a million dollars. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it's pretty funny, uh, his story. So, uh, inspired by that, I looked at other movies and I thought myself, thought to myself, I wonder if people recognize these characters and admittedly, I'm going to give you character names, not actors who played them. So you may have to really dig in the, uh, back of your brain to figure out who these characters are, but I'm going to give you a, uh, a minor character in a film, and then I'll give you choices of movies that they could be from, and you tell me okay. what movie they're from. Fair enough. Okay? Yes. So, first one here is, uh, I don't know if it's pronounced, I think it's Rollo, but uh, it reads Rollo, uh, the janitor. So, Rollo or Rollo the janitor. Is he from Billy Madison, Scream, Goodwill Hunting, or Goodfellas? Billy Madison. That is correct. The, what about the, you, Sideburns? Yeah, what about you, Sideburns? I don't know. Like, like he's like, this milk can be our milk. Like, you know, yeah. I'd rather have a beer. I'd rather have a beer. <laughs> Miss Lippy's car is green. <laughs> yeah. Billy uh, likes drinking soda. Yeah. yeah anyway. <laughs> so next up, you've got... Uh, Bob the Goon. Is Bob the Goon from Dick Tracy, Miller's Crossing, Dirty Work, or Batman? Batman. That is correct. I've talked about Bob the Goon before. Uh, I think it's funny. I think he's just listed as Bob in the movie. But uh, he's Jack Nicholson's friend, uh, and he's like his henchman in the film. But his action figure was labeled Bob the Goon. Mm. Which just always tickled me. I just at some point I would love to talk about the film Dirty Work because it's one of those like um, garbage movies, but everything about it makes me laugh. Like I would love to talk about Dirty Work. It's a movie I haven't seen in ages. Uh, the thing that I love about that movie is Chris Farley in the the street fight music scene. <laughs> there was a Vietnamese whore that bit my <laughs> nose off. C nine. Street fighting man, whatever he says. <laughs> yeah, no, I just there. There's so much more there. It's like the movie is. It's it's a very throwaway movie, but it makes me laugh so much. I would love to talk about Dirty Work. I adore that movie. We'll put it on the slate for the future because I haven't please. seen it in years. Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> All right. So next up is Lieutenant Hawk. Is Lieutenant Hawk from GI Joe: The Rise of Cobra? Is it from Transformers The Last Night? Is Lieutenant Hawk from Star Trek First Contact or Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2? Oh, you're going to hate this. It is, um, oh, what's his name from uh, Captain America First Avenger? First Avenger. He had uh, the... the um, Neil McDonough. Neil McDonough. That's Lieutenant Hawk from First Contact. Wow, I didn't think you were going to get that. Good call. So you are three for three right now, sir. You're doing well. He was a red shirt in that film, but I, I love Neil McDonough. I mean, he does make it two thirds of the way through the movie at least. Well, no, but uh, in terms of like him just being an actor, I like, I like Neil McDonough and he's yeah. also, um, 
Oh, what's his name? He he is the 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 he wears the bowler and the mustache. His um, what's his name? And Captain America. Gosh damn it! God, what what? Gosh damn it! What? No no. Let me rephrase. God darn it! No. <laughs> and uh, he's dumb dumb Dugan. And yeah. That, yes. Dumb dumb. God damn it, Dugan. That's his name in that. He's also in, um, oh, um, oh, Minority Report, and he gets hit with a six stick, and he just, like, barfs all over the place. I, I really like Neil McDonough. So, yeah. All right. We we'll, we'll leave it there for now. The next uh, character here is Gil Hicks. Is Gil Hicks from Clerks, Mallrats, Chasing Amy, or Dogma? Mall rats. You are right, sir. Uh, I always thought it's the it was same actor, that, right? Because yeah, he's adjacent uh, to Halloran, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Kevin Smith, when uh, he didn't have a main role for him, would put him uh, as a, sort of a descendant or uh, a member of the Hicks family. Right? Member of the yeah, descendant is not the right word. Uh, member of the Hicks family uh, in other films. I always thought that was funny, and they all just happen to look like Dante. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, our next one here is going to be Duke Henry, the red is Duke Henry, the red. Is he from army of darkness, Braveheart, Eric, the Viking or Monty Python life of Brian. Army of darkness. Yes, you are correct. You are five for five, sir. You are killing it tonight. Yeah. And I am so drunk right now. It is. Well, uh, it's so yeah, bad. You keep it going. Keep it going. Chug it there, there was a, um, a WKRP uh, in Cincinnati episode where they were trying to, like, um, determine, like, um, the efficiency of, like, their honor talent. And, like, the drunker that, like, Johnny Fever got, like, the more efficient that he got. So that's where <laughs> I'm at. That's I feel like I feel like that's where I'm at right now. So continue, please. Well, it's like Bender without beer. Or yeah, well that's fair. I I, I guess I'm the anti bender. So kiss my shiny, um, um, not shiny, my um, like uh, not shiny pink ass. There we go. There we go. All right, we'll take it. <laughs> Don't kiss my shiny. No, kiss my um, not shiny. Um, Why don't you just say your pale boy ass? My my pale boy fleshy ass. There you go. Yeah, there you go. There you go. All right. So the next one up here is. Commanderette Zircon. Is she from Toy Story 2, Stargate, Spaceballs, or Escape from L.A.? Zircon? Mm-hmm. Spaceballs. Yeah. Wow. I'm really impressed. I don't think they ever say her name, but uh, yeah, she's from Spaceballs. Look at me guessing things. Hooray. You're doing quite well. All righty. Next up is Coach Finstock. Is Coach Finstock from Rudy, just one of the guys, Teen Wolf, or Prom Night? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I just feel like because I've dipped into your voodoo, um, just one of the guys. Ah, uh, finally, I got you. He's the coach from Teen Wolf. Oh, here. Let me, like, um, oh, where are we at? Let me, um, what are these? <laughs> All right, I guess I failed. Right, 
But again, uh, you've gotten this far. You've only got three more to go, and okay. you've only missed one. That's pretty damn good. Okay. I'd like to thank me for flying me airlines. Okay. <laughs> you just stole that from Mystery Science Theater. <laughs> all I'm right, a hack so. and a fraud. We all know this. It's fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Principal Arthur Hembry. Is he from Back to the Future? Porky's? Scream or Killing Mrs. Tingle? Scream, because we talked about that earlier in the episode. That is correct. Yeah, that's uh, Henry Winkler's uh, uncredited cameo as the principal in that, that movie. So that was a shot in the dark, but I figured since you mentioned it, that was part of your game. So there we go. are you still here like i am here i like that you purposely messed up a skype after this because i got you right so continue please so yeah that was the uh amazing uh henry winkler uh doing an uncredited cameo uh so next up here we've only got two left to get through uh we've got uh pinball parker so it's Pinball Parker from... Conair. Oh, look at you. Wow, I didn't have to give it's you Dave options. Dave Chappelle from uh, Conair. Yes, that's where it's at. All right. I threw a Conair question in here for you. Have you seen Conair? Because it's amazing. And it's a, I saw it in the theater. I haven't dumb, seen it in probably it's 20 dumb years. It's as AF film, but I adore Conair. So, yes, that's Pinball Parker. I know that. I know that. I know that. So continue on, please. All right, the last one here. Uh, this character's name is Doug Fackler. Doug Fackler, is he from Friday the 13th 4, the final chapter? Is he from Police Academy? Is he from Hook? Or is he from Loaded Weapon 1? <sighs> Loaded Weapon 1. Oh, I'm sorry. That is incorrect. <laughs> Doug Fackler is from Police Academy. However, I just wanted to point out that uh, the the actor who plays Doug Fackler uh, plays roles in all the other movies. That Fair enough. All right. <laughs> so I was like, he's not going to know who Doug Fackler is, but I'm like, I'll give him options from other movies. That I that appreciate that. Been in. Yes. So yeah, you you did what uh, eight out of ten? That's a that's passing score. So you get it's not just passing score. It's a, it's a B. It's a B average, right? So there you go. There you go. Yeah, I did I did okay. So that was a lot of fun. Thank you. Um, sorry that I jumped on the pinball Parker, but I just watched Con Air like three weeks ago. So yeah, I know about that. Uh, all right. So, oh my good lord. Yeah. Um, that was a lot of fun. So I hope you guys um, enjoyed the episode. I have indigestion from uh, drinking a lot. So um, we're taking two weeks off because um, because I asked to do that. And I know Steve is in the middle of um, moving his stuff from his house to another house. So I appreciate he asked, that. Well. But it really is making things easier on me. Yeah. So. so I hope you guys enjoy your Labor Day weekend. No episode next week and then the week after. TBD, but I will also say that um, on the other show that I do, uh, Strange Highways, um, we're going to cover the 83 Twilight Zone film, and Steve's going to be on there for that. So if you guys want to check that out, it's going to be a lot of fun. 
Um, also, I want to th- throw a shout out. I don't know if I did this last week. I think I should. I think I did. Um, at the Devil's Ball, I was on there to talk about the Manitou. Check that out as well. I I, I linked this to the page. If you want to get weird um, 70s wise, just check that out. Nathaniel and Samuel had me on. A lot of fun. It was good. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, um, we're going to take two weeks off. And this content's free. So, it's one of those things where it's like, I feel like there's always this obligation to be like, we got to like do things. It's like, like, Think about scripted series where it's like, we're going to only do 10 episodes a season. We've done more than that. So um, please give us a minute and enjoy your, enjoy your holiday. We'll be back in two weeks. We'll figure it out when we get there. Um, But yeah, please, please, please watch one crazy summer and have, have a good two weeks. Have a safe two weeks. Please get vaccinated because, um, garbage is terrible out there and people that aren't getting vaccinated are um, messing things up. Um, Please, 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 please believe in science. Get vaccinated. I'm drunk. I'm sloppy. And I'm dragging Steve into this. But, you know, just do it. Just please, please, please do it. And that means you can come back in two weeks and listen to us, whatever we're going to do. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, and I'll just say that if you find an empty Godzilla costume, you're obligated to put it on. Yeah, I agree with that. And also, it wasn't especially large, but it felt hard, extremely hard. Not the button I meant to press, but here we go.